Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Sixers on a 6-0 run. Edwards guarding Harding. James Harden driving and finishing. And so it begins. The Harden era with the Sixers. Well, there you go. Kate Scott last night let history record the first basket that James Harden scored in the red, white, and blue of the Sixers. Good morning, everybody, along with Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. Uh, 10.04, Ray, as we get the handle for our 10 o'clock show. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there is so much to talk about today, and we don't have that much time. Less now. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move some of our normal Saturday stuff to Sunday. Tomorrow we're we're gonna do best of tell us your story, but we're gonna do that tomorrow. We're gonna move what we're watching tomorrow. The uh, Ray Didinger NFL Draft Primer is going to go Sunday because last night, Mister Didinger, there was magic in Minneapolis. The debut in Sixers red, white, and blue of the beard of El Chapo of James Edward Harden Jr. You and I spoke a little bit before the game before the game, before the show, and said this was kind of the best debut in Philadelphia sports since when? <laughs> I said the first game of Chip Kelly. <laughs> but you know what? It, that was, and, and we know how Chip ended. But the first year of Chip was pretty great, and the first game, that uh, game against Washington, was awe-inspiring. Yeah, it and was. was. And this was on Spire. Yeah, it was. It was just it, it, it was just a lot of fun. It was yeah. just it was just it was just a lot of fun to watch those guys play. And uh, you know, for all the folks that had been just sitting back trying to imagine what it would like what it would be like to see uh Joel Embiid and James Harden on the court together, you know, and sat back and daydreamed about it and fantasized about it and thought about it and dreamt about it. Well, you got to see it for real last night, and it might have been better than all of that. It, it was. was, it, was real, it was really right. It was really good. You're right, because it was the two-week buildup. They made the trade, and then he was out with the hamstring, and then there was the All-Star break, and then they didn't play for five days after the All-Star game. And, boy, he didn't disappoint. James Harden scores 27 points, 12 assists, eight rebounds in his debut. Um Sixers romp 133 to 102 on the road against the Timberwolves. You're not a, they're not a particularly good team. They're not bad. They're an average team. Yeah. A little above 500. Right. Um, here's the ultimate stat from last night. James Harden had five three-pointers, Ray, and that's exactly as many as Ben Simmons had in his Sixers career. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love that. And, by the way, Joel Embiid had 34 points and 10 rebounds. Tyrese Maxey, who I want to talk about more today, had 28 points, shot 12 for 16. Um, give me you know, a couple of your uh, your early observations on what you watched last night. 
just amazing that it looked so fluid for the first time. You know, that was that was what amazed me. I mean, the fact that Joel Embiid is a great player, we knew that. The fact that James Harden is a great player, we knew that. I mean, that's already been documented. But to put it all together, uh, first time out, and make it look like it's been in place for years, that was what amazed me, that it was so smooth, that there were so few mistakes. Um, and, you know, we t- we, we'll talk a lot about Harden's Harden's line here, but I mean, to me, the the twelve assists might have been the most impressive part of it. You know, I mean, the threes, the five threes was great, but you know, the the twelve assists on a day when he barely knew where these guys were going to be, yeah, that he was able to find them and get them the ball and create a lot of really good scoring opportunities for the other guys on the floor was, yeah, I, I knew he could do that. I knew he was capable of that. We all knew that, but for it to be there on night one was what surprised me the most. Yeah, it took about 90 seconds for that chemistry to develop with Embiid. Um, and I don't remember a player like this on the Sixers who can, who is able to pass and dribble and shoot all those skill sets in the same guy. Uh, I saw one old head said the, the last time the Sixers had a player with this skill set was Hal Greer. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, they've had great players over the years, obviously. Doc had amazing skills and could do things. Uh, Iverson certainly could do many of these things, but he can do all of these things in one package, and it was great. He, he, uh, he. I'm sorry, Embiid, after the game, was just bubbling. Uh, you could see how excited and thrilled Embiid was. He, um, they did the post-game interview with Kate Scott on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia, and Embiid said, that was probably the most wide open I've ever been in my career. I had a lot of easy baskets. I used to have to work for everything. Uh, put a footnote in that one, Ray. I want to get back to that. But in the fourth quarter, the shot-making ability, the shot creation, you should have seen my face. I was just like, I've never had this. Nothing close to it. Hopefully this continues. We didn't even play our best. I think we'd be way better than this. I mean, it, it, it all boils down to, okay, you had been, not this year, but you had Ben Simmons in the lineup. Now you have this guy, and the fit between Embiid and Harden, just early reviews, as they used to say, Ray, in, on Broadway, baffo. <laughs> Certainly has to be. I mean, if, if anybody that would have panned this or you know seen, seen this game and come out of it and said, yeah, but, you know, that, that, now you're just being unfair. Uh, if 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 if, I, if you're crit- if, I just heard a bunch of that, but yes, you know, ahead. I mean, if you're going to criticize that, then you're just looking for something to criticize. At least in my view, yeah. I, I mean, it was I, I knew I knew this was going to be good. I mean, we all knew this was going to be good. Heck, that's why we wanted it to happen for all these months. Mm-hmm. But for it to be this good night one, that's what was really surprising me. And I, you know, the point that Embiid makes about you know I've never been so open. You know, I've never had these these kinds of scoring opportunities. But it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, the whole. This gets back to everything that Ben Simmons was and everything that Ben Simmons was not. And Ben Simmons could distribute the ball. Ben Simmons could pass the ball. But he commanded no respect as an offensive threat on his own from the outside. So defenses would just, you know, Simmons would have the ball at the top, and okay, maybe he can pass it, but he's certainly not going to shoot it. So we don't have to come out and play him. We're just going to collapse inside on the big man. Well, you can't do that now. I mean, you can't do that now. If James Harden's Harden's got the ball, he may pass it. Uh, but then again, he may do, he may just take a step back and throw up a three, and guess what? It's probably going to go in. So that, you have to you, you, you now have to play him, which creates an entirely different spacing situation on the floor, not just for Embiid, but for all the players. I think you just nailed the the crux. You just hit the nut graph of the story, which is this: he's the anti Ben Simmons. 
that killer step back jumper that you just referred to and the larger effect that it has, how it benefits Embiid, how it benefits the whole team. I'm going to kind of repeat what you said, but I think you made the most important point. So I want to reiterate it. With Simmons running things, they could never navigate a, a, like a normal pick and roll because, as you said, all the other team's defense would have to do is kind of contain Simmons on the drive and say to him, hey, go shoot the jumper, which he wouldn't do, which he never did, which meant they, they would just fall back on Embiid. This, as Embiid said, this is going to make it so much easier on him and so much easier on, anybody, on everybody else. Everybody's second favorite sixer, Tyrese Maxey. Mm-hmm. Boy, did he get into the Harden era nicely. Um, 28 points, as I said. Shot after you. Love his energy, and he was clearly geeked up for it. Sixers' three top scorers had 89 points combined on 46 field goal attempts. How great is that? Yeah, pretty good. That's, that's, uh, and I think that uh, I, I watched Rivers' post-game press conference, and mm-hmm. you know somebody brought up the, um, the, the term – how many good looks um, the other guys on the floor had. And Doc immediately said that's exactly right. Because uh, everybody, and you saw in the fourth quarter, I think they hit their first eight three-pointers in the fourth quarter, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, you know, I mean, just even if you're out there on the court by yourself, hitting eight straight three-pointers is kind of rare. So, I mean, okay, it was an unusual night. But the fact is they were all good-look threes. They gave you a chance to hit them. And that's the kind of thing you're going to get. I mean, not just this isn't just going to help Embiid get some room to operate. But it's going to create great scoring opportunities and great looks for everybody else on the floor, too. Everybody else on the wing is going to get those opportunities. And, you know, and Maxi, who you just mentioned, is really coming on and becoming just a really a, – I mean, he's a star. I mean, he's in the making. I mean, you can just kind of see it. And what's, what's funny when you watch them now, and it's only going to become more pronounced as the games go on and they play together longer, is, you know, he changes the pace of the game. You know, when Harden's handling the ball, bringing the ball up, they sort of move at one speed. And then Maxi gets it. It's a totally different speed. It's like, you know, you, if you're preparing for the Sixers, you almost have to prepare for two different teams, Yep. depending on who's going to be handling the ball. I mean, they, they both create offense, but they create it in different ways, which, I mean, this team is going to be assuming that nobody gets hurt and assuming Harden can stay healthy and continue to play. This team's going to be a real, this team's going to be a real handful for everybody that's going to have to play them down the line. There's no question about it. If you if you are and listen, I'm not saying that the Bucks or the Nets are are quaking in their boots, right? Because they're not. Those are quality teams, and the Bucks won it last year. And the Nets, we'll see how their chemistry develops, with all the changes they made. But if I'm somebody associated with that team, and I watched last night's game, I would certainly take note. The verdict is a long way off, mm-hmm. but the opening statement was pretty brilliant and highly entertaining. And highly entertaining. You know what? Let's say that. Dan Wilson, our producers, put together a little bit of a montage of highlights from last night. Dan, let's hit it. Harris off the Millsap screen, kicking a Harden, corner three. Got it. Reed, no good from three. Here comes Harden. Good pass to Tyrese Maxey for two. Step back. Yes, sir. Oh, baby. Dan says, let's slow things down for a minute. Get the shot they want. Step back. Four-point opportunity for James Harden. Oh, oh, mama! James Harden make it 27 for Harden here tonight. It was a magic (laughs) night. It was, you know, you you mentioned the Chip Kelly opener against Washington 2013, right? Where the offense was unstoppable. Uh, It was T.O.'s first game as an Eagle, where he scores on that bomb from McNabb, and, and you see what you've never... 
seen before what we wanted the Eagles to be. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of what it felt like to me was we we know how great Embiid is, and we see the other complementary players, but they have been lacking that other guy to go with Embiid, and that and that's what they seem to have last night during the time. That Harden played, they were plus he he they were plus thirty five. Right, I saw that. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing statistic. I saw that there was a in that in that little montage there. There was a ver, there was a nice Allah Abdel Nabi moment that was sort of evocative of Mike Quick, just kind of an almost under his breath, just not even really for broadcast purposes, just expressing something like there was, you know, but Kate's calling the play, and you hear Allah Abdel Nabi say, "My goodness." Yeah, you know, I mean, it just it, it's just very subtle, very. Yeah, he's impressed, and he's not even. He, he, it's not even like he's. That's part of the broadcast. He's just thinking out loud. Yeah, but it's uh, you, Mike Quick has those moments too, yep. and uh, it was really funny because when I heard it last night, I laughed and I thought that sounds. That's you know, I know exactly what that's coming from. That's exactly the way Mike Quick. That's exactly the way Mike Quick reacts to certain things, and he was. There were those kinds of moments sprinkled throughout that game last night. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray and I don't always take a ton of calls but today is a day to celebrate today we're looking to take some good callers um because it really is night um i mean i don't know i didn't i didn't stay up late last night and listen to wip but i imagine the excitement of people after that game was was something i was hoping to see hear some of that this morning and we certainly want to give you the opportunity to to enjoy it and enjoy it with us so let's go to bob in collegeville you're on with ray and glenn hey bob hey guys it's a wonderful morning huh yeah it is yeah a couple, of, a couple of months ago, you know, when all the Ben drama was going on, Ray, you were really pounding the table hard to just get rid of them for, you know, Manny, Moe, and Jack, whatever it was you could get, mm-hmm. um, just to get rid of the drama because you didn't want to see the soap opera. And Glenn was trying to convince you otherwise. Is there, is there anything anyone could have said to you back then to convince you to just be patient and wait this out? No, that was an honest opinion. That was how I felt at that point. I mean, I was just, I was just done with him. I was just, I was just so done with Simmons. I just wanted to be rid of him, you know. And and look, I give Daryl Morey tremendous credit because he waited it out. And there were other critics like me who said, "Get rid of this guy. Cut cut your losses. Move on. You're not going to get anything for him anyway. You're dreaming that you're going to get a bigger package down the road." Uh, I didn't. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just, I was just so tired of Simmons. And as much as anything, I was so tired of the whole conversation. I just wanted to be done with it. And so, yeah. And but Morey didn't cave to that. I mean, he did what smart general managers do. He waited it out, played his hand, and he played it perfectly. And so that's why he's a general manager, and I'm not. <laughs> there you go. You just got to right. be patient and trust the process, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, stop <laughs> short of that. Let's let's stop short of the process. Oh, uh, okay? we're going to get that one back. <laughs> well, let's hope that we're not going to go back there again. But yeah. if, but to your basic point about. You know, the fact that Morey's waited this one out, waited this one out, put up with all the aggravation. And I'm, listen, I'm sure he got as frustrated as I did and everybody else did, but he understood, you know, I'm, I, if I'm going to make a trade, I'm going to make a good trade. And I do believe that it's, that's going to be there down the line. And, and if we he, have to wait to the deadline, we'll wait to the deadline. And that's what he did. And he did it without losing Maxi, without losing Thibault. And that's the part that's really good. I mean, look, we all like Curry. He was a nice, complimentary player, and I wish him well. It seems like a great guy, but. If you're able to make that deal, part of what, to me, makes this even work better, right? So we, we look at what Harden adds, and then we look at Harden with Embiid and what those two can do together. But it works down the line because now 
um, Maxi is able to be that much better, right? E- each guy kind of moves down one notch in his role. Tobias Harris is going to settle into a new role that's going to put him under less offensive pressure. And I think it the 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 net effect is that it helps everybody. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and Maury's pa- patience, um, not even his patience, just like hanging really tough at the end and like, mm, I'm not going to give you this guy. Oh, you know, I'm not going to do it. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I heard somebody last night um, say, well, you know, this is – I wonder about – I worry about their depth a little bit now. Well, you get to the playoffs, you're not – your depth really isn't that much of a factor. You don't play much of your bench in the playoffs. You know, you're shortened up to pretty much eight players anyway, and you, you got and you got those guys. The point is that those eight have to be as good as they can be. And right now you're, you're a heck of a lot stronger in that area than you were two weeks ago. Yeah, no doubt. Brian in Glen Olden, I believe he's excited after last night. Yeah, I'm very excited, guys. I'm so excited. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to get overly excited because we were playing the Timberwolves, but they look so much better than I thought they would look. And just imagine if Harden can get into the air to Tobias and he steps up his game. I, I can see us winning the championship this year. I really can. Hey, it's, it's a viable thing. Yeah, I know that's not what, a stretch. It really yeah. isn't. Yeah. And then um, here's the thing. I think, I think and because of the talent that we do have on the team, and I do agree with you, Ray, that you're only going to play a certain amount of players in the playoffs anyway. But um, as long as Doc don't make these bonehead moves <laughs> during the game so far as, you know, substituting, keeping players in longer than what they need to be and doing these hockey shifts, I think we'll be all right. Hey, um, Ray. Not right. I'm sorry. Um, Prof, yes. I want to personally thank you for something. Yes. That you have no idea what you did for me. So, listen, I'm a realtor. I sell houses in Pennsylvania, right? I yes. go by the Rockstar Real Estate. Because of you, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a talking code because I don't know if I can say this or not, but because of you and something you did on Facebook, I was able to sell three houses in the area in which you live in. Wow. Well, I, I, you, I don't you know, know what I'm I, talking about? You I don't, right? but I – but I know that I love Hammer you Towns. So. Yeah, you and your wife on Facebook um, promoting a product. This helped me sell three of my houses. Okay. I don't exactly, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I helped. <laughs> and, and I will, if you're selling in Havertown, you're selling in a great neighborhood, Brian. I sure, I, I just showed, I sold a house two weeks ago right on um, Vermont Bur- Road, sure. right next to the CVS. Beautiful. Well done. Yeah, I mean, as you know, Ray, I... I I, I preach the marvelousness of of my town here. And well, you should. Havertown's yeah. a terrific place. I love it here. Yeah, I yeah. I, I I'm, hey, listen, I you know I largely grew up in Delaware County, so I really yeah. I really like I really like that part of the of the area, and I think that where you are, the, that particular pocket of Havertown you're in is very very nice. So it, you know, if, for if you're a family type, if you're a family oriented type of person. And you got you know, got young kids, and you're looking for a place where you can settle them, put down some roots, and let them grow. Havertown is a great place; it really is. So you know, my kids are up and out, right? My kids are grown; they have kids right. of their own, and so my wife and I are rattling around this big house. And there was there was a time like a year ago um, when I thought, like, you know, it's a downsize, right? I move something smaller, and maybe we could move. And I suggested my wife. She said, "Where the hell do you think we're going?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. We're not going. We're not leaving here. No, you have. A, I mean, your house is perfect for your needs. It really is. And well, it's, it's and perfect you, and, for my needs. If I'm hosting a party of, you know, if I need ten people to sleep over. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I, hey, I love it. It's a little more than I need, but I love it. All yeah. right. 
Enough about my house. We want to talk about the Sixers. Um, as, as we said, we're pushing some of our regular Saturday features to Sunday. We have a great Tell Us Your Story this weekend, which um, Ray kind of organized, which is a, a best of highlights of famous people meeting other famous people. We're going to play that tomorrow. We're going to do Ray's Draft Report tomorrow. We're going to do what we're watching tomorrow. Uh, I will tell you, Way, I am watching a compelling documentary series, but we will, we'll get to that tomorrow. We're going to do our Scheib Sports uh, This Week in Philadelphia Sports History because it's actually very germane to our main topic. Today we'll talk some NFL Combine. We'll get some baseball in there, whatever else is on your mind. But, yeah, we know the story. The story is what happened last night in Minnesota as the new-look Sixers came out, and, boy, did they look great. We want to hear from you, 215-592-9494. He's Ray Dale. Oh, by the way, best caller of the day. Mm-hmm. Scheib Sports, $50 gift card, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit them in Center City or at scheibsports.com. Best caller of the day wins a $50 gift card to Scheib Sports. Excuse me. Ray, you want to handle that or you want to give that to Dan Wilson? Oh, I'll let Dan do it. Yeah, that's, that's my thought. <laughs> Get us off the hook. All right, Dan, it's on you. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Been so far, Sixers up 10. Harden, step back, and the foul! A lot of those, right? How, they shot, how many foul shots did they shoot last night? I was looking at this earlier. Like 40-something, 36 foul shots last night, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a pretty regular uh, kind of number. Yeah, oh, oh, definitely. And- 39 three-point attempts, 36 foul shots. Welcome to the NBA in 2022. Well, one of the things about the, the Timberwolves is they, I believe, I don't know if this is still true, but as of a couple of weeks ago, they had, they had committed more personal fouls than any team in the NBA. So Timberwolves games tend to spend 
you spend a lot of time at the foul line. Mm-hmm. That's just the way they play. Yeah. And that and that was certainly true last night. But one of the one of the things that's really good about the Sixers and one of the things that you you would say bodes well for them in the postseason is they are a good foul shooting team. Yeah, they are. I mean I mean just getting rid of Simmons helps helps you a lot. <laughs> helps you a lot in that area. Twenty percent higher automatically. Yeah. But I think yeah, the Embiid's last, very good at foul shots. Yeah, I mean you are. look at yeah. I, I you look at Harden, Harden yeah. Embiid yeah. and Maxie. Yeah. Who are going to be who are going to have the ball in their hands more than anybody else, really. Uh and last night was a fairly typical night. They shot twenty one for twenty four. Yeah, that's great. For the three of them. And you know, they're the guys that are going to be driving the offense. They're the guys that are going to be handling the ball. And if anybody's getting fouled, they're probably going to be the ones going to the line. And now you have guys who, when they get to the foul line, can make the shots. All right, Ray. We're going to play a quick game of Ray Dinger, name that jack wagon. You ready? Uh, okay. After last night's game, somebody tweeted out on social media, and I, I may give you a clue or two here, but first I'm going to read the tweet. I'll give you – here's the clue I'll give you. Not local, okay? All right. And, and you're, uh, you obviously know this person. Mm-hmm. Tweeted last night, James Harden is on his best behavior in his Philly debut. Efficient, unselfish, only one turnover. Sixers appear energized by his presence. And Bede said pregame, James is nothing like the stories about him. You're wrong, Joel. You can't trust him when it really counts. Just fool's gold tonight. Okay. So you want me to identify yeah. who said that? Yeah. Um. I have no, I have no idea, but I'll give, I'll, the way you frame it, I will make the wild guess of saying Skip Bayless. <laughs> Ray Dinger, you, you win a new kitchen set. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are correct. Well, what a, what a jerk he is. I, well, just the way you know. I mean, every time you talk about Skip. I mean, oh, yeah. what what drips what drips from every syllable of what you're saying gives you away. I mean, you don't you don't even have to tell me who you're I talking read about. that I pretty know. straightforward, Ray. <laughs> um, maybe by your reckoning, not by mine. <laughs> but I, I kind of plus plus it just it just sounded like Skip. I mean, it's the kind of thing that Skip would say. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't believe what your eyes are showing you. Let's go to Mike and Marlton. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Mike. Hey Ray. Hey Glenn. How are we doing today, boys? Hello, Mike. Um, so I want to talk about James Harden and last night. Um, I'm not going to like get overzealous about it, but I really did think that they were going to click and they did. And it was just really, uh, nice to see them come together. Um, but the one thing I want to say is that last night, James Harden had four made three pointers. Um, that is one shy of Ben Simmons entire career. No, 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 Um, no, 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 no. no. He, He had five. He had five. Oh, he did hit five? Oh, he yeah. tied it, yeah. When you were out oh, getting the wow. sandwich, he, he hit that other one. Excuse me. Ah, well, that's even sweeter. Um, well, I do think that's telling. Um, the offense looks like I've never seen it before. I've been watching basketball uh, since we were 10 and 72. Uh, it was so refreshing to see. Um, and just the way Harden can whip the ball around, it just was immaculate. I- I've never seen passing – and shooting, like, just so – like, I was making my own noises at the TV. It, it was <laughs> it was something else. I, it was, was fun. Really... It, uh, Mike, great great call, uh, and it was fun. I was trying to think of the last sporting event we had in this town that was that much fun. And we talked about the last, you know, shock and awe was the Chip Kelly first game in 2013. And right. the last debut that, to me, was like this was T.O., when he came in and caught that bomb from McNabb in his first game. I will tell you, the last game I really enjoyed, and it's a cheat anyway, was when the Eagles crushed the Giants back in December. 
but it it really doesn't count because it was Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. Right. So that's not even fair. Right. Can you remember the last sporting event we had in this town? You know, the Eagles had those games where they beat bad teams, and I'm not complaining about the season. But there wasn't one of those games where it's like, oh, my God, look at this team. Look at what they're going to do. Uh-huh. This was it. Yeah. Um, well, um, the, the, la- the, the game that comes to my mind in, in that sense, a game that you just sat back and you just, you just sort of said, wow, look at this, uh, was the NFC Championship game, the game when they blew out Minnesota. Before, oh yeah! Before they okay. went to the Super Bowl, was, right? Was one that look. I thought I thought they were going to win. I picked them to win, but I didn't expect it to go down that way. Yeah. And there was and when once they once they kicked open the door in that game, and once they got it gone, uh, I was just amazed I'm at how you. at how totally they dominated. Yeah. What was a good Minnesota team? That to me was the one. You're talking about a game that was just a a shockingly fun game. I you know that NFC Championship game. It's it's sort of. It sort of gets washed away in the memory of Super Bowl and how great that was. But at the moment, that was an amazing football game. And the Eagles were underdogs, and yep. uh, the Eagles were down, and then you get the Peterson interception, and then just like all of it, it just all changed for the better. Yeah, Pat yeah. Robinson. Robinson, not Peterson. Peterson was the coach. <laughs> Robinson was the defensive back. Yep. Um, I, I, I'll get back to the calls in a second, but I wonder how many people watched that game last night. Oh, I think uh, I, oh, I think a ton. Oh yeah, I looked up the the ratings. The Sixers heading into last night have the fifth highest local ratings of all the teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, two. What's funny is it's two point seven, which means two point seven percent of the people are watching, which seems so low to us because we live this. But in terms of local NBA ratings, those are really good. Right. After last night, I mean, I'm sure last night it was three or four times that amount. Oh, at least. And after that, when they come home Wednesday night for his first game here, that roof is going to blow off that building in South Philly. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, that's going to be it's going to be amazing to watch. Brandon in Brookhaven is with us. Hey, Brandon. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? All right. So I, I'm a hockey guy, so I, I can't comment too much on basketball, but I am highly interested in this now because of the trade. Mm-hmm. I, I, for one, hated Ben Simmons, only because of his attitude, not because of how he is or anything, but his attitude. And then I wasn't too happy when I heard about Harden because of his attitude. But watching the game yesterday, he, seemed, he doesn't seem like that type of guy. And, yeah, I know it was only one game, but – him and Joel seem pretty good together. Um, well, those are two separate things. Um, we're getting feedback here. I, Brandon, i got to let you go, and I'm sorry, but I'll answer your question. We've got an echo there, and so I, I hate to give you the, the short shrift. Uh, he and Embiid can have a great run and win a title, and, Ray, I will tell you, I'll put an over-under on this thing at, what, two seasons? Probably, yeah. Okay. To Brandon's point, um, and I, I've never met James Harden. I don't know him as a human being, so I don't, I don't want this to sound too harsh. But what we know about the NBA is it is a league where the players basically decide where they want to go and move themselves around as they see fit. You see now Zion Robinson, not Zion Williamson, excuse me, is not, is not talking in New Orleans to the team. He disappeared, right? Right. And it's just something that is allowed in the NBA – uh, LeBron James is already talking about leaving the Lakers so he can go somewhere and play with his son eventually. Right. 
And it makes it challenging to be a fan when you know the players really have no loyalty, and I'm not going to lie and tell you that Harden has loyalty. I think Embiid probably does, but I think Harden is hes a mercenary. Yeah. Well, that, but, that's the, you know, I don't like it, but I understand that that's the nature of the league. And uh, if you're a star player in that league, you have that kind of power. And everybody kind of just bows to it, you know, the, from the commissioner on down. You know, I mean, Adam Silver's the commissioner, but in title only. I mean, LeBron James runs the league. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And if you, if you really pinned Adam Silver down, and he'd, he'd probably have to admit it. And that's, now he's the, you know, he's at the top of the pyramid. He's, he's the, you know, he's the big name, and so he has the most power. But it, it filters down, and that's, and that's the way it's been for a while. I think it's, you know, it, it's certainly not the NBA that I grew up watching, but, you know, I have to accept the fact that that's the way it is now. And, you know, Harden has a track record. He got – he was happy in Houston until he wasn't, and then he won it out. And then he went to Brooklyn, and he thought that was going to be great, and then he got unhappy there, and then he won it out. And, you know, what's making this thing exciting here is he – he has clearly said, and he said it on multiple occasions, this is where I wanted to be, is Philadelphia. Of, of all the places, he wanted out of Brooklyn, but the one place he really wanted to go to was Philadelphia. So he's got that. And so for the time being, he's happy, and so let the rest of us be happy. Is, it, yeah. is, it going, is he going to stay here for the next 10 years? Is he going to become, you know, buy a house in Havertown and live the rest of his <laughs> life here? Mm, probably not. He's certainly more than welcome to. There was one for sale about a block away. So. And who knows? I mean, Havertown's a lovely place, and maybe and <laughs> right, maybe right. he will. But right, you're getting a little carried away. But but Delaware County. Yeah, but the point is, um, you know, I think we know where this is ultimately headed. But for now, it's it's good. For now, it's real good. And this team has, and it's not a stretch, and it's not an exaggeration, and it's not wishful thinking. This team has a real, legitimate chance to certainly get to the finals. And then when you're in the finals, it's just best of seven. See who wins. Yeah, and the key to this is his relationship with Morey, which is why he wanted to be here. It's, it's not that he you know, thought like, hey, I'd like to go visit the Liberty Bell. It's that he had, when he was in Houston, he was happy when Morey was the general manager. And uh, his dissatisfaction with Houston basically began after Morey left. And so coming here to be with Morey, those two guys, they got a man crush. And uh, we'll take it for now. And, and he really wanted to play with the big guy. Yes. He really wanted to play with the big yeah. guy. And, yeah. I, and I think that's, you know, the, the partnership of the two of them last night was a beautiful thing. Well, sure was. Uh, and another guy played well and sh- should be playing well is Tobias Harris. I know Tyrone wants to talk about that. Hey, good, good morning, uh, hey, Ty. gentlemen. Hi, Ty. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, uh, watching the game last night, it was fantastic. And I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I was listening to it on the radio, which was different because I was going out to the store. And uh, the excitement, you can almost feel it in the air over the radio. And uh, James Harden is, to me, he's an all-time great. You know, he's a Hall of Famer. And I think the way they were spreading the floor, it's and with the relation of Tobias Harris, I know he only has six points, but I think in the future they're going to use him on the weak side and have him as a backdoor slasher and a cutter. And I think the the way the team is going to come together, the chemistry is building. And in the fourth quarter, you could you could see it that there just there's just going to be a great mix of players and talents. And Joel Embiid is loving it. At the interview at the end of the game, he just sat there like he was in awe of the feeling that he was experiencing. Yeah, it was I, Christmas and, and Day the, for him. I, to, yeah, your, he, to your um, 
And I and I agree with your point on Tobias Harris. And yeah, I mean, last night they didn't need him to do anything, right? Because the, the the two lead guys did, and Maxi had a great night. There will be exactly. nights. There will be nights when other guys are cold. and They're going to need Tobias Harris to do it. And I think this, as you're suggesting, Tyrone, takes all so much pressure off of him that yeah. he will he'll get better looks. He'll get more opportunity. Yeah, and I, I think the chemistry is going to build. But I think later in the in the season and then going to, going into the playoffs. He's going to be – I think they can win the championship when they come together. They're going to have five players. They're going, they're going to average over 100 points with just their starters. Mm-hmm. And if they go eight to nine deep, you know, that's what it's going to take for them. to. to you know, in the playoffs, it's going to be really critical because yeah. every basket is going to be – take on a whole greater importance. And you're going to really see how James Harden, he spreads the floor. He's like a maestro out there. He's mm-hmm. – He's one of the few players that can mix in, uh, like scoring and assists, rebounds. He, he reminds he plays the game like Tiny Archibald in the sense that he led the league back in the day when I was a kid. He led the league in scoring and assists. I I remember when he did. Yep, Ray, you had to be a Tiny Archibald fan. I was actually. Yeah, yeah I, I was. That's 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 true. He's a very compelling player to watch. Yeah, he was, and um, you know. Harden has the ability, and I think this is kind of what Ty was going for, of not just being a good passer, but knowing when to get you the ball and where to get it to you. You know, getting getting you the ball at exactly the right spot at exactly the right moment, so you can so you can catch it and do something with it. Yeah, that's uh, what Embiid said. He was he was amazed with. He yeah, said I mean, it was exactly where his back. Said, "I'm not used to that." No, it's true, <laughs> and uh, and and it's again. We'll come back to the point that we made right at the start. Was for it to be there on the first night is what was really surprising. You know, you got great players together. You know that great players are going to make great plays. I mean, that's just what they do. But for it, but you don't expect it to all fall into place the first time they play together. But last night it did, and you know, if if that's how it starts, then you then you just sit back and say, "Geez, how good can this be?" I mean, maybe really good. Maybe really good. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray Dittinger, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. After the end of a good fight. You deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Get him just in motion on the drive. Reed, no good from three. Here comes Harden. Good pass to Tyrese Maxey for two. He saw Maxey fill in that lane. Soon as he got that loose ball rebound, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. So, uh, by the way, Ray, at uh, noon we're going to have Derek Bodner on, who is, I mean, knows the Sixers as well as anybody in the, in this market. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
I said earlier that uh, you know you, you don't take too much out of one game, but if I'm if I'm a fan or an official or a player with the Bucks or the Nets, I did watch that Sixer game last night, and I I certainly took note of it. And speaking of the Nets, Nets coach Steve Nash said yesterday that conditioning is the thing keeping Ben Simmons off the floor right now. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Goran Dragic, who's played only five games this year, who's 10 years older than Ben Simmons, is going to play tomorrow. And there was a piece – you get the New York Daily News all the time, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, there was a piece in the New York Daily News that's starting to question Simmons' toughness and determination. <laughs> uh, Christian Winfield, who I'm not familiar with but writes for the Daily News, said, Simmons is the biggest mystery omission from the Nets' rotation. He is 25 years old and has been working out all year, despite being away from the Sixers. Yet Nash says Kevin Durant is closer to returning than Simmons. He, They're going to learn quickly, I think, what he is. And Simmons is absolutely going to miss that game here. Was it March 10th, March 11th? March 10th. March 10th. There's no way he's going to play in that, right? It's two weeks off. Yeah. You mean he's he's, he's not going to be ready to play by then? I'm asking you. Well, I mean, when the trade was made, um, and we did the show like a day within a day or so after the trade was finally made, and you know, I had I had looked as everybody looked immediately, went to the calendar and looked up to see, okay, when when do the Nets play the Sixers? Okay, March the tenth, and I I introduced that into the conversation with you. I said, oh, I can't wait for March the tenth to see Ben Simmons come back, and you said, I don't think he's going to play, and I and I laughed. I said, oh, come on. Now, why wouldn't he play? I just and you said I just don't think he's going to play. Nothing has changed my opinion. And you. yeah, and yeah, at the time I thought, oh, that's just you know, oh, come on, you're being silly now. I mean, but now I'm starting to think that you're right. I'm starting to think that you're right that this guy isn't going to play in that game, which is, I mean, it's just it's just unthinkable. Let, let let's just get right down to it. He doesn't want to play. Correct. It's, it's it's not a matter of what team he's with, what arena they're walking into, who they're playing against. It, do, it doesn't matter. He doesn't want to play. Yeah. You know, he likes the life. He likes yeah, the he money. He wants the lifestyle. He wants the things that go, the benefits that go with it. Yeah. The he, adulation, he, so on, the yeah, girlfriend. But you get right down to it. He doesn't want to play. Nope. No, and they and I'm telling you, they're going to they're gonna start questioning this pretty heartily in New York pretty soon. Well, apparently they already are. Uh, yep. Well, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like? Speaking about New York and speaking about James Harden, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like at Madison Square Garden tomorrow for that game? I mean, I know the Knicks are the Knicks are falling apart and are getting ready to fire their coach, and you know, yeah. it's it's the it's the usual it's the usual fire sale coming in New York again. We've seen this a million times over. But what do you think that atmosphere is going to be in Madison Square Garden when when the Sixers team takes the floor with uh, with Embiid and Harden now? And if they put on a show like they put on in Minnesota, but now they're doing it in Madison Square Garden, that should be a lot of fun. I think it's going to take about into the middle of the second quarter before the Knicks fans start um, sarcastically cheering for the Sixers. That's what I think. You think? Yeah. You think Spike Lee is going to be high-fiving James Harden as he comes down to court? As he, yeah, as he shoots dirty looks at the owner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's a terrible franchise, and for New York, you can't be that kind of franchise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're in, like, one of the hinterland franchises of pro sports, you can be that. But you can't be that in New York. It is. Here's what it is. It's the Flyers being pathetic but even on a bigger scale. Yeah. You can be a pathetic NHL team in Columbus and nobody cares. When you're a pathetic NHL team in Philadelphia, it matters. When you are really one of the flagship franchises of the NBA and you're that pathetic, 
that's really bad. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I remember Pat Riley when Pat Riley was was coaching the Knicks, um, and that was a really that was a really good era of basketball because the oh, Knicks yeah. are really good, the Pistons are really good, the Bulls are really good. I mean, oh, it's tough stuff. too. I mean, it was it was it was a real tough it was a real tough hard nosed era of basketball, uh, and the Knicks embodied a lot of that. You know, with Starks and uh, and and a Oakley. lot and, and yeah, and, and all of those guys. Ewing. Yep. And uh, and I remember Pat Riley one time saying. You know, the NBA is – it sounded self-serving when he said it, but the more I thought about it, I said, I think he's kind of right, um, is the NBA is better when the Knicks are good. And, yeah. And it, sound, you know, it sounded like he was sort of patting himself on the back and, you know, and, and sort of patting the franchise on the back. But the more I thought about it, it kind of is, you know, because it is – I mean, there is, there is certainly glamour to New York, and there is absolutely glamour to Madison Square Garden. And if the Knicks are lousy, which they've been lousy more often than not lately, um, it hurts the league as a whole. But when the Knicks are really good and they're playing big games on national television, it, it helps the whole league. I think Riley was right when he said that. I think the NBA is about New York, Los Angeles, Chicago at the first tier, right? Sixers, I'm trying to think of who else I would put on. Like the, the second tier of cities that like the whole world will get charged up about, right? Sixers kind of just a notch below that. And the, you, you think back when San Antonio was winning those championships, that was a really good team, and it was a fun team, and they had those two big guys and so on, but it, it wasn't the glamour with that. Right. Uh, and I want to get back to the calls real quickly, but just tell me you're not going to extend that philosophy to football and tell me the NFL is better when? The Giants and the Jets are good? No, 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 no. <laughs> the Cowboys, because I hear that argument a lot. Oh, oh okay. And I'm not buying that one. Uh, no. I just ripped oh, San I, I, Antonio. I, I, I wouldn't go that far. Good. I just ripped San. I didn't rip San Antonio, but I, I kind of. Did. Mike is calling us from San Antonio. Mike, I love yeah. your town. Well, I um love listening to you guys because it connects me back to Philadelphia where I grew up. So uh, I want to talk about the Sixers and scouting. It seemed like in the playoffs and years past. Uh, Sixers were an easy scout, mainly because of Simmons. But it seems like Maury may have a great formula with Harden and Embiid. And I was just curious what you guys thought about the ability of teams to shut uh, the Sixers down based on the weaknesses that they have, and maybe that they have a lot less weaknesses. And I was just curious what you thought about that. And then I also wanted to talk about um, mercenaries who came and helped the Philadelphia teams be sure. successful. Okay. Well, to your to your first point, yeah, I think I think Harden addresses one immediate issue that this team has battled with all year, which is their inability to run an offense against its own defense. I mean, if you saw if you've seen the Sixers at all this year, mm-hmm. you've seen how teams would go to a zone and it just shut the Sixers down. I, I mean, they just couldn't they just couldn't penetrate, they just couldn't make plays, they couldn't sustain offense if teams played a good zone against them. Well, you bring Harden in here, uh, and he's you know he's the definition of a zone buster. You know, I mean, he will, you know, he can penetrate for sure, but he also has that step back three point shot that, I mean, he'll, he'll stretch your defense and create opportunities for the other guys, either by driving it, by shooting it or by passing off. And so mm-hmm. they're far with the addition of Harden, they are far, far better equipped to attack zone defenses than they were before. Awesome. And uh, I think that bodes well. The free throws also really help in the playoff situation, mm-hmm. I think, um, when the game slows down into the half court. 
But uh, the mercenaries, uh, I was thinking about Pete Rose in 80 and 83 and Joe Morgan and uh, T.O. was obviously kind of a mercenary pickup, and we've had great success, so I wouldn't hold that against Harden. No, 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 I'm not saying I hold it against him, and your point is well taken. I I just recognize that as a reality of, of sports, but of basketball more than anything. Because in basketball, players have more of an ability to create their situation and where they want to go and force out and abandon fan bases. I mean, Pete Rose was a legitimate free agent who played out his contract, bided his time, didn't quit on – he came here from the Reds, right? Yep. Okay. Didn't quit on the Reds, finished up his contract with the Reds, and then was a free agent, and they signed him here. Um, in terms of basketball, guys all the time just kind of force themselves out of market, and that's it's a little bit of a different situation. But, hey, he's our mercenary now, Ray. We'll root for him. You know, I remember when Pete came over from Cincinnati to Philly, and everybody talks about 1980, how instrumental he was in winning the World Series here in 1980. And I, I still to this day say that they would not have – they would Phillies would have never – that team would never have won a World Series if they didn't get Pete. I mean, I think he really was the last missing piece. But people forget he was here in 79 too. He came in yeah. 79, and they didn't. They didn't get even to the playoffs in 79. The magic happened in, in 80. But I still remember in 79 – when the Phillies made their first trip to Cincinnati, when Pete Rose went back to play against the Reds in Riverfront Stadium, then Riverfront Stadium, going back there, because that was a big deal. So the newspaper sent me along with the baseball writers. It was a big deal. And it was so odd to hear Pete Rose actually booed there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when, that... when, he, when, he, when he came out, when he was introduced for his first at-bat, I mean, there, there was largely cheers. But, I mean, there was a lot of booing. Uh, it... And that's... You know, it was I because we were, took a lot of odds in the press box. Is he really going to get booed? Are the Cincinnati fans really going to boo Pete Rose? But at that time, that the uh, that idea of free agency, you really were you really were Benedict Arnold, and that was how he was treated in Cincinnati. By the way, speaking of that era, we're about uh, next segment. We're going to do our uh, Shibe Sports this week in Philadelphia sports history, and it plays into all of that and relates to what we just start seeing with James Harden. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Saturday morning on 94 WIP. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. 94 WIP, 11 o'clock hour. And that means it's time for our Shibe Sports. This moment in Philadelphia sports history. And Ray, this is an interesting one because you you lived through this. This is when I'm a kid living up in Buffalo, New York, not really understanding the magnitude, uh, magnitude of this. I remember probably reading about it in the paper when two big-time pitchers get traded for each other but not knowing what it meant. By the way, best caller of the day wins a $50 gift card to Scheib Sports. Where there's a story in every stitch, visit them in Center City or at ScheibSports.com. Best call. Well, I said that. Best caller gets that. Um, okay, Ray, 50, it was 50 years ago yesterday. We don't usually dig this far back into the archives, um, but this is one that is of such magnitude that I wanted to do it. It was a trade that I would tell you is the greatest trade in the history of Philadelphia. We'll uh, review that in a moment. The Phillies trade Rick Wise, pretty damn good pitcher for Steve Carlton. I'm going to have you break it down, but before that, let us go back years later, the 1980 World Series, lefty on the mound. Looking at Steve, of course, 24-9 on the year, probably the Cy Young Award winner in the National League this year. They are really up. Struck him out ten times out on strikes. Willie Wilson struck him out. Bouncing ball trio to his right has it in time. 
So it's three up, three down for the Kansas City Royals, bottom of the first. God, Ray, you were probably uh, – you were there, right? You had to be there. Sure was. There you were. Um, so when – so February 25th, 1972, two star pitchers get traded for each other as the Phillies send Rick Wise to the St. Louis Cardinals for Steve Carlton. Both of those guys were in contract disputes with their team. By the way, both of those guys were asking for a raise to $65,000. <laughs> You know, that's an inning. Um, and I was, I again, I didn't grow up here. I didn't know. The reaction at that time was not all that positive, eh? Uh, it was no, it was, it was largely negative. Um, of course, we didn't have we didn't have sports talk radio then, so we didn't have um, a lot of what we had have today, which is people just calling up and screaming and hollering and that kind of stuff. You had, you basically had the man on the street, people on the subway talking. And you had your newspaper writers, and and you had your columnists weighing in on what they thought of the trade, like it or not like it. And it was largely unpopular. It was largely unpopular because Rick Wise, Rick Wise was a very popular guy in town. Uh, he had been part of the '64 Phillies. Uh, he was a teenager on that team, uh, 18 years old on that team. Wow. Uh, and then stayed with the team, and so was one of the. He may have been the last. He may have been the last surviving member of the '64 Phillies by by that point, '71, '72. I think he probably was, actually. But uh, it was coming off a really good year. I mean, he had won 17 games, which is a lot uh, for a bad team. Uh, had a 2.88 ERA, which was really good. Uh, and, of course, he had that really, truly historic game in Cincinnati where he pitched a no-hitter and hit two home runs. Uh, that all had happened the previous year. So, I mean, he was on a team that wasn't particularly great. Um, he was the one guy you kind of had to root for at that time. And so people really liked him. And when the news came, and it was a bit of a surprise, everybody knew there was a contractual issue, but everybody kind of thought, oh, they'll work this out. So when the news came that John Quinn, the general manager, had traded Rick Wise to St. Louis for Steve Carlton, yeah, people didn't like it. They really didn't like it. And this was despite Carlton had won 20 games his final season in St. Louis, so he wasn't exactly an unknown. You, you were trading a star for a star, right? Right. Um, and, and that's fine. It's just that Philly had a loyalty and knew this guy. And, and back then, you didn't get to see guys in other cities. You didn't know what they were. You didn't know how good Carlton could be, I imagine. By the way, Rick Wise went on to win 113 more games yes. in, his, in his career. Oh, he won he a pitched, game in the pitched, 1975 World Series. Right, he pitched, he pitched well in St. Louis, and he pitched even better in Boston. Right, he was, he was certainly no chump whatsoever. On the other hand, the Phillies got a guy who you could argue is the best left-handed pitcher in baseball, and the year he came over, I'm guessing that people who didn't like the trade initially kind of liked it when he won 27 games for the last-place team. Yeah, they did. Didn't take long? No, no. It was um, um, once the season started, Carlton was just magical. You know, on, on a team that was abominably, abominably bad, uh, I mean, he was great. Uh, he, was, uh, he was absolutely great. I mean, we, we throw the word great around far too easily these days. But he was, that season, 72, he was great. I mean, capital G, great. Uh, one of the greatest seasons any pitcher has ever had in, in the history of baseball. Yeah, yeah, I mean, won 27 games for a last-place team. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I mean, the stats are just staggering. I mean, he's 198 had, ERA, 310 innings, 31 complete games, or 30 complete 30 games. 30 complete yeah. games and 41 stars. Started yeah. 41 games and completed 30 of them. I yeah. mean, think of that. And and they used to say, I guess it was uh, Larry Bowe who said, when he pitches, it is win day. Win day. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that... 
and watching him pitch, it was just the team. The funny thing was, it was it was just so odd because every other day when that when they played, if it wasn't Carlton pitching, they were like the worst team in baseball. They were they were awful. They were unwatchable. But if if you said, oh, who's is Carlton pitching tonight? I'm watching because he was that good. I mean, he was he was that good. I mean, he totally commanded everything that happened. And it didn't matter who he was playing. It didn't matter if it was a good team or a bad team. It it was just it was Carlton. It, Carlton had the ball. We we're going to win. There wasn't any question about that. And I, I remember Rich Ashburn had one of the great comments that I've, you know, and Whitey was, was great all the time. But he, he had a, I remember listening one night, and he made the, the observation that I thought, wow, that's really, that is so well said. Whitey said, Steve Carlton doesn't pitch games. He paints them. He said, and every mm. pitch is, every pitch is a stroke, a different stroke, and every stroke is a masterpiece. That's nice. That's nice. I thought that was. I thought what a great description because watching Carlton pitch for 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 really the whole of his career. I mean, he was he was that good. But that particular year, seventy two, my goodness, I never. I we had in Philadelphia, we had never seen anything like that. So when the late great Big Daddy Graham and I wrote our rewrote our book, the Great Book of Philadelphia Sports Lists, uh, a couple of years ago, we did the top ten trades in Philadelphia sports history, and it's particularly germane today because we hope that the trade that the Sixers made now may eventually get added to this list. But let me give you some of the ones I had on here. I want to do it quickly because I know a lot of people aren't whole, but just give me your uh, your snapshot of it when I give it to you, okay? Okay. That we had is number one. Number two, we had the Flyers get Bernie Perrant from the Maple Leafs for Doug Favelle and a future first-round pick. Yeah, obviously that, got, that brought your two cups. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and Bernie had been here. He was an original Flyer, got traded away, and then this was the trade that brought him back. And, yeah, that was the key to winning the two Stanley Cups. Number three, we have that the Sixers send out Caldwell Jones and a first-round pick in 1982 and get Moses Malone. Last piece. You know, yeah. that was, I mean, they had put together that team in the late 70s that had a lot of really good players, really good players, Doc, Doug Collins, all those guys. But they needed that big man in the middle. And uh, Caldwell Jones was a very good player. But Moses Malone was Moses Malone, and he came in and made the Sixers a championship team. Yeah. Um, right. And that's the last championship that this franchise won. Uh, number four, the Flyers send Larry Wright, Al McAdam, and Ron Chipperfield for Reggie Leach, who, uh, you know, would come here and score 60 goals. Yeah, yeah, and there was, uh, and reuniting, reuniting Reggie Leach with his uh, former uh, junior teammate, Bobby Clark. They yep. had played together in Flin Flon, and, uh, you know, Reggie had had, uh, you know, was, everybody knew he was a talented guy, but he had really underachieved and had problems off the ice and was considered a bad actor, and. Bobby Clark told the Flyers, if you can get Reggie, get him. And, you know, I can work with him. We'll play together, and we can win together. And they brought Reggie Leach in, and, and man, <laughs> uh, that, was, that was really something. I still remember that playoff, that, that postseason playoff, when Sixer, the Flyers didn't win the series, but they didn't win the playoffs. But he was the MVP because he was just so dominant. 19 Ten, goals in the 19 postseason. 19 goals that year. All right. Uh, real quickly, number five, uh, the Sixers send a Clippers world. Well, he was Lloyd Free at the time. And get a future first-round pick, which didn't pay off for six years, but when it paid off, it was Charles Barkley. Right. Uh, number six, the Phillies send Travis Darno, Kyle Drabeck, and Michael Taylor to the Blue Jays for Roy Halladay. Yeah, pretty good. That was pretty good. Although that one was weird because they traded Cliff Lee that same day, which made everybody upset. And remember, there was the oh, we can't trade Kyle Drabeck. Oh my God. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the best pitcher in our farm system. That that'll just show you that 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 idea of quote-unquote prospects. Sometimes they'd never pan out. 
Uh, and I'll just do one more uh, because this was your pal, tight uh, tight end Charlie Young. Charles Young gets traded to the Rams for Ron Jaworski. Yeah, and that was that was almost like a wise Carlton trade because it was two guys that were in the middle of a contract dispute, and so the the Rams and the Eagles just said, "Look, I'll take your problem, you take mine." And uh, Charlie Young went out to the Rams, didn't play much with the Rams, but then went to the 49ers and won a Super Bowl. And of course, Ron Jaworski came here and led the Eagles to their first Super Bowl. I would throw one more in there. And that was the trade that the Flyers made when they traded Mike, uh, Mike Walton and a draft pick to the Boston Bruins for the rights to Ricky McLeish. Shaky Walton. Yep. Mike well, Shakey we also, Walton. I mean, we, we did a 10 deep, and we had the, the trade that brought LeClaire and Desjardins here for the Flyers. That was right. a pretty darn good one. Right. Uh, okay. And we hope when I rewrite – well, I can't rewrite this book because I've lost Big Daddy, but uh, maybe I'll just do an addendum at some point and add the James Harden trade for uh, Ben Simmons. No, I think, it, I think it belongs on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike in Yardley wants to talk about uh, Harden's role on uh, impact on some of the role players. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, how are you guys doing today? It's a brilliant, wonderful blue day, but last night was really something else. It's so good to see basketball played well and to see the Sixers doing that. It's, it was really inspiring. And that's why I wanted to what I wanted to talk about, because, Glenn, you mentioned how much Harden – seemed to uh, help the productivity of the role players. But I also felt that he really, you know, his presence seemed to inspire them to, to play even better than just their ordinary output. It, it, the impact, I think, is really hard to measure. I can't wait to see more games. And it's, uh, it, it's just yeah, really listen, last night they were on a high, right? Oh, La- you got it. <laughs> last night they were on a high, and, and, and I don't think every game is they're going to they're gonna quite have that energy, but I there's no reason to believe that this team has not improved a couple of notches and is a, is a real contender, not just a team that's going to make it yeah. to the second round, maybe make the third. This is a team that's a real contender. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, guys like Moss and uh, – uh, what's his name? Yang. They're hitting threes. Let's. Uh... Uh, I'd, I'd slow my roll on. That. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> they, uh... No, I think I, Mike. I think I think the point that Mike's making here uh, is that these guys saw very quickly that if they work to get open, um, Harden is going to get them the ball and they'll have a chance to score. Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah, guys. Go, guys. You, you know, if you're on the floor with Harden, you don't stand around. If you're on the floor with him, you're working to get open. You're working to get a shot because if you get the shot, he sees the floor well enough that he's going to get you the ball and give you better opportunities. I think it lifts. It's not just a matter of, oh, we're on the floor with a terrific player. We got a chance to win. It's, it's how his game can impact your game. And I think it does. I think it, I think it helps everybody. I think that's a fair point. Uh, Jeff and Glenn's side, I think, wants to actually speak to something related to that. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Good morning, gentlemen. It's an honor to be on this call. I look forward to my Saturday 90-minute uh, coffee trips where I try to explain to my wife why I'm gone for a cup of coffee. But, uh, well, thank you. Hey, thank real, you. real quick, real quick, yeah, not a problem. Real quick, Glenn, yeah, hopefully you had this trade 43 years ago. Philly's got Manny Trio and Greg Gross for a little bit from the Cubs. So um, that was a nice trade in Philadelphia uh, sports history as well. Um, Ray, who'd they get Manny uh, Trio and Greg Gross for? You remember, Ray? I, you know, I forget. I think it was uh, um, a cup of coffee, but I, I don't think it was uh, a lot. But that, okay. those two were very instrumental in their World Series. Yeah. Uh, victories. Yeah, Manny, well, Manny, Manny was MVP of the championship series. I love, God, I love Tree. I miss him. Uh, hey, real quick, last night. So I, I try not to get too too overzealous when I see things, but what I saw last night that immediately jumped out at me. And Ray, you, 
he just touched on it was his spacing. When Harden's on the floor, it just looked like everybody was wide open. Um, and that that's great. And it's also going to be tough because guys are going to have to hit their shots. And guys like Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibel, those guys are going to be wide open all the time. And I was a little concerned that Tobias didn't step up last night, so I really hope that now having Harden when he's on the floor, he's going to have to hit these shots. He's really going to need to nail them. Bible's not a good shooter, but he's going to be wide open too. And these guys are just going to have to be prepared. And if they can hit their shots consistently, they're, they're going to be tough. They're going to be a tough out because Harden just changes the entire dynamic mm-hmm. of the court. He just sees everybody. And he just, it's, you can't, you got to double him. And he just sees the court tremendously. And, and guys, like I said, they're going to be wide open to hit yep. shots. Yep. You know, part of this whole thing, by the way, let me give you that trade. Uh, the Phillies trio trade. The Phillies, because uh, you remember these guys better than I do. The Phillies got uh, Greg Gross, Manny Trio, and Dave Rader. Mm-hmm. I don't remember Dave Rader. He was a utility guy. Caught okay. a little bit and could play a couple positions. For Derek Botello, who was a pitcher? Yep. Barry Foote, the catcher. Jerry Martin, who mostly is remembered because he, he wasn't in the game. Yeah, he's basically a when defensive Linsinski outfielder. Goal. And Ted Sizemore. And if my memory is correct, you may have once told me that Ted Sizemore was among the more miserable guys you ever met. Yeah, he fit right into that clubhouse. Yeah, yeah I, I, remember, right I remember you told me that. Cra- crabby, crabby character. And Barry Foote, Barry Foote, too. Barry Foote threw a chair at me once. What? That's, that's probably the most notable thing he did in his time with the Phillies. How did I not read this in your book of memoirs? Uh, that just seemed sort of pointless. I mean, who cares about Barry Foote? Well, I think we care about this. Let's see. go ahead. Oh, no, no. It's just, it's, that's just what, that is what it is. Can you set it up a little bit? Like, what did you write? What did he say? No, I, I wrote nothing about Barry Foote. There's no reason to write anything about Barry Foote. But Barry Foote was sort of that, you know, he was sort of the bottom of the roster guy that was looking to validate himself in the clubhouse. And, to, you know, to ingratiate himself with the other veteran players who hated the media. So he, with no real reason to hate the media, but because he wanted to be in with the other guys, um, you know, was, was sort of a jerk, generally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was walking through the clubhouse. It was, in, it was in St. Louis. And it was after a game. And I'm just walking through the clubhouse. I had finished my business. And I was heading towards the door to head to the elevator to go upstairs. And all of a sudden, a metal folding chair slams into the wall. Right Holy cow. Right, right, right in front of me. I mean, he made sure that he wasn't going to hit me, but he threw it so that it hit the wall in front of me. Uh, and oh, so uh, he did it for sport, as opposed to as in a reaction to something you had written. No, he just, no, it's he just, just it was just it yeah. Fun. I mean, here, here's here's one of these here's one of these you know writers quote unquote that were persona non grata in the clubhouse, and oh, he's the last one here today. So you know, I'm going to do this because the other guys are here and they're going to see it and they're going to think it's funny. And so he threw it up against the wall and it banged into the wall right in front of me. And then he then he. And then he just sort of went, oh, oh, I guess I didn't see you there. So that made him a big guy with his teammates for the for the bus ride at the airport. (laughs) I know you did not enjoy telling that story, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that our listeners enjoyed hearing that story. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they're going to run right out and tell their neighbor. Boy, did you hear that story about Barry Foote? Uh, well, you, you you discount right. That, that's the slice of life that people don't really get to get to get to get to hear. No, Barry, you lived all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, <laughs> and, and, and are was, glad you don't have yeah, to do no, it I'm again. Glad I don't, I'm glad I don't have to do it ever again. But Barry Barry Foot gave new meaning to the term footnote because he was a footnote in Philly's history. Oh, Ray, 
hope you got to write that at least once in your life. No, I just thought of it now. I missed my <laughs> opportunity, I'm afraid. Uh, you up to a Steve Carlton question? Oh, sure. All right. Anthony and Doylestown's got one. Anthony. Hey. There. Got it. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for taking my call, right? Pleasure, pleasure to talk to you. Hi, Anthony. Um, I, I, I remember vividly that 72 season. Um, I was just 15 years old. I lived in South Philly, about a mile from the stadium. I was down there every night. And I just remember Carlton, what, how nasty his fast, his curveball was. I mean, we would sneak behind the home plate where the wives would be sitting and he would have a curveball that would start out at 12 o'clock. And by the time of the opposing batter was hitting, it would be at six o'clock in McCarver's glove. Who McCarver was, I believe, his personal catcher that year. He was. And also, also, um, I believe the season was shortened by two weeks because of a strike, which he could have probably won 30 games. Correct. And he won 15 games in a row that year. I don't know, Ray, if you can comment on that, but it was just an unbelievable year. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was really unbelievable. And and um, and each each game was a new chapter in the story. And just you know, he said, "Oh, he can't keep this up. He can't keep this up. He can't keep this up." And he did. And you know, I mean, you said 15 wins in a row. I. I didn't know that number off the top of my head, but that sounds about right. I mean, he went he went like two months without losing a game, uh, and 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 every game he pitched, I mean, he 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 started it and he finished it. Uh, it was it was just amazing. And you talk about his curveball. His real out pitch was the slider. I mean, he had a he had a really good fastball and he had a curveball, but his out pitch was the slider. I mean, his slider, for the bulk of his career, but that year in particular, was absolutely unhittable for left-handed hitters. Left-handed hitters had no chance against this slider. I mean, it was. It was just really an awesome thing to watch, and every time, and every time he pitched, um, you always felt when you went to the ballpark you had a chance to see a no hit game. That's that's one of the things that's missing in baseball now is the way baseball is played now. Starting pitchers, heck, starting pitchers can have a no hitter in the eighth inning and they take him out eight? because they hit the pitch count. Yeah. But uh, but with a guy like Carlton, if if he's pitching, you know, if you're looking at papers, hey, Carlton's pitching tonight, I'm going because you know what. You buy a ticket. You have a, You felt. You went up to the ballpark. You felt you had a good chance to see a no-hit game. Certainly a great game, and maybe a historic game. That kind of day is gone now because those kinds of pitchers aren't around anymore. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now a lot of talk today about the Sixers. A lot of excitement over James Harden's debut in the lineup yesterday as they just go into Minneapolis and crush. Um, and just look great, uh, and we want to share that excitement with you. It's been a while since we've been uh, had this much fun watching a team, so we'll talk about that. We're going to work a little football into the next segment as well. He's Ray Didinger. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Ray Didinger, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Uh, we're, we normally do what we're watching at this time, and we appreciate how uh, loyal people are to it and listen for it. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're putting it off until tomorrow. Uh, the segment is, of course, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDER or visit them at goguida.com. Ray, I'll just give you a preview. I am uh, I started watching the documentary, We Have to Talk About Bill Cosby on Showtime. Mm-hmm. Really powerful stuff. And uh, as I said, we'll we'll get to that tomorrow. Let me let me take one call, and then, Ray, I want to talk a little, um, little football. Okay. Stuff's going to happen in the NFL. D in Virginia, what are you thinking? Hello, D. You there? D is yes, hello, guys. not there. Oh, D was there. Call us back, D. We'll get you on, but you got to be ready. Matt in New Holland. 
What are you thinking, Matt? How's it going, guys? Appreciate right. you guys, and it's it's an it's an honor to be on here, and uh, I appreciate. I'm in I'm only in my twenties, so I appreciate all the wisdom and all the stories on here. It's like reading a book every Saturday morning. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate your, it. <laughs> your voice makes you sound like a more mature man than your twenties. Oh well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay. um, I I just want to say last night was um one of the most exciting times as a Sixers fan for me because I didn't really follow basketball that closely back, you know, even in the Iverson days, I was, um, don't remember, you know, back in the old days, of course, but it was just, you know, everybody just needs to soak this in, be happy because last night was over what I expected. There was a lot of people yesterday that seemed, you know, a little worried, kind of scared what's going to happen, but, it was just a thrill to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's what, you know, and Matt, that's what I would say for people. And I think that's the point that Glenn and I have tried to make today is don't don't overthink it. You know, don't overproject it. Just enjoy it. You know, just enjoy it. I mean, enjoy last night for what it was. I mean, it was a fun basketball game with a lot, with a lot of really cool plays. And, you know, you kind of sit back and say, wow, where could this be going? But, you know, don't. Don't overthink the thing. Just, I think that they've got a really good team. I think they do have a chance to go pretty far. But you know, don't don't worry about it. Just sit back and enjoy it for what it is. Because right now, it's pretty good. Yeah, and it reminded me. Um, you actually mentioned it of the NFC Championship game. Like after they got on a roll there, it was you could just sit back and have a good time with your friends and and enjoy the the whooping. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they just blew that team out last night. They, they just. Uh, and as you said, we said at the beginning, I mean, Minnesota's not a great team. They're not going to the finals at all. But, I mean, they're not bad. I mean, they're, they're, a, they're over 500 team, and they were playing at home. Um, and I've seen them give teams trouble in that building. And the Sixers just, uh, just blew them out. I mean, just blew them out. I mean, that was a 30-point win that looked every bit of it. It looked worse, actually. And it was, it was just fun to watch the Sixers execute that way. And it was fun to watch them have fun. You know, I mean, you got the sense just looking at the bench and looking at the way the players were reacting and, you know, seeing a couple of the hugs and the chest bumps that Harden and, and Embiid exchanged. They were a team that was out there having a good time. There's nothing wrong as a fan of having a good time with them. Yeah, and I never I never bought the process at all. So this is like, I'm really looking forward to this era. And uh, I just, I appreciate you guys. You guys have a good weekend. How old are you, Matt? I'm 27. 27. Okay. So this is the first really good team you've, we believe, a really good team you've seen, right? Yeah, because I was I never bought the process and watching with Ben, you were never you could never just sit back and relax and watch things unfold because yeah. you were always scared of what's gonna happen, he's not gonna shoot and all that and teams are gonna take advantage of it. Yeah, and, yeah, you, were, was, and, and you were too young to enjoy the best of Iverson, so Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if he's twenty seven when in in oh one he was four, five. Right. Yeah. I mean you forget how long Iverson was. I mean how long ago Iverson was, you know, Ray? Oh I know. But that was, I mean, if you're 20, if you're 25 to 30 something years old, you've never really seen the Sixers as a top, top flight team. No. Yeah. And, and I really do feel for those people who kind of came of age suffering through all those years of tanking. Right. Right. So right. now, you know, good for them. They get to watch something good. All right, I got to get some football in here. I wanted to work in um, some stuff. So the combine uh, is in whatever three days. It begins I think. this week, yeah, yeah, begins this week, 
And then free agency begins on March 16th. A lot of teams have are going to have to do work between now and then to get under the cap. And I just want to run a couple couple of thoughts by you or a couple of issues by you get your thoughts on them. The first domino that's likely going to happen I think is Aaron Rodgers, right? Mm-hmm. Um and all the kind of chaos he is creating. Uh, he did not retire this last week. You saw that cryptic Instagram post that he put up there. Right. He had that 12-day cleanse and then he kind of I don't know when he became such a weirdo, but boy, he just seems like he became a weirdo. Um <laughs> This is a guy who was going to be hosting Jeopardy a couple months ago, and now it's like I I don't think I'd invite him into my house. Yeah, I mean he he can't stay in a relationship. I mean he's had he's had you know he just broke up with his latest girlfriend who yeah, and he had only been with his he had, he had only been with uh, Danica Patrick for less than a year. I mean he just can't stay in a relationship. He's he's estranged from his family. Um, yeah, his teammates, that, which his, is really odd, which right. is really weird if you read in, in any of that stuff. And you know his teammates don't like him. I mean he's you know he's uh, he, he's a strange dude. I mean it's I mean he's a uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 clearly he's a narcissist, but but you know, you can live with some of them and you can't live with others. And apparently, he's one of the ones you can't live with. Well, unless you're the Packers, who've lived with him for a long time and, and gotten a great career. Any insight? What do you think his decision's going to be? I think he stays. You think he stays? Okay. Well, I think a lot of it I think has I, to, I think I generally agree. I think, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Devontae Adams. Yeah, would, but that's not going to. I mean, I don't know that you can just settle Devontae Adams before before that. I guess you can, right? You can just wait. All right. So that's going to be the first thing. And then the next thing is going to kind of be, is Seattle going to get the offer at once for Russell Wilson? Mm-hmm. You think he moves? Where do you think he moves? I think he stays, too. You think he stays, too? Okay. All right. Um, Derek Carr going to stay with Vegas? I think he might move because really? there's there's a lot of change there. Mm-hmm. You know the new coach, yeah, new true. general manager. They're changing. They're they're turning over that whole operation out there. Uh, and the thing is, Derek Carr has some value. I think I think he's actually a little underrated. I like I him too. better than most people. I think he's I think he's a pretty good quarterback. Mm-hmm. But you probably could get him cheaper than you could get, say, Russell Wilson. So that's why I think he's more likely. I think he's more likely to move. Okay. Uh, and then the next thing we're going to be watching is what's going to end up with happening with Carson Wentz. Um, Teams have to decide if they're going to start releasing guys, and he is somebody, if they cut bait with him, they save $15 million. It's very clear from everything they have said from the owner on down that they do not consider him their future. And I think, by the way, that all happened. Yeah, Yeah, I think that all began when he chose not to have the vaccine, and you you remember when Earsay came out and basically said it was selfish. Right. Uh, so I think that's when all that began, and and, and he had he had a pretty good, you know the thing about him, when he was good he was very good sure was and when he made mistakes they were just ungodly awful that last game against Jacksonville a couple of the interceptions he threw over the year mm-hmm. when he was bad he was really bad so what happens to do you think well I'll, I'll ask his two part do you think they'll be able to trade him depending on what they're asking for um, I mean if I they're they asking mostly want somebody to just take him. Yeah, um, I mean, if, if somebody gives you, you know, somebody offers you a third round draft pick, you'd probably take it, right? Oh yeah, I mean, to me, it's the money, it's 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 the salary, right? But it it depends on. Remember, the salary cap is going up this year, so teams are going to, you know, teams aren't going to be quite as up against it as they were last year. There's okay. there's more money, so teams aren't going to be, or at least they shouldn't be, as cap strapped as they were a year ago. So there'll be that. Um, largely, it's just at this point, it's an organizational decision of how much. 
you know, how much of a headache is this guy going to be? And um, at this point in his career, how good is he? How much how much can he help us? I mean, you know, he's going to be 30 this year. I mean, yeah, he's not, no. he's, he's not, he's a no kid. longer he's, he's that a, young potential. Yeah, he's not a kid anymore. No, you know, I mean, he, I mean, he might be, he might be stepping into Gus Ferrat territory, you know, uh, where, he's, two. where he's, where he's one of those, where he's one of those <laughs> yeah. kind of guys, you know, all right. Two potential landing spots. Uh, Steelers. Yeah. They're certainly looking for a quarterback. I don't think Mason Rudolph's the guy. Nope. Okay. And I certainly don't think Dwayne Haskins is the guy. So they right. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're looking for a quarterback right now. Would he fit? We always used to say he was like a young Roethlisberger. Yeah, that that was that was the comparison that was made. I don't know. You know, I think that the Steelers. I mean, there's a there's a strong sentiment in Pittsburgh. Not that the fans make the draft picks, nor should they. But there's a strong sentiment in Pittsburgh that the Steelers ought to just draft Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. and just you know the kid from Pitt who had a great season. And I think, and I think most people kind of agree, he's the best quarterback in this crop. You know, let's draft him and just build and just build with him. But you know, the Steelers aren't used to taking that big step back to take the step forward. They want to stay relevant. Sure. And, you know, can you do that with a rookie quarterback? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I've, I've, thought about, I've thought about Pittsburgh as a possible landing spot for Wentz. Okay. The other place is the, the commies. Right. Right. What do you think about that? Um, how would you feel about having Carson Wentz back in the NFC East? I think it would be great for us. Yeah, it would certainly give us something to talk about. It's, if people if people think we talk about Wentz too much now, just wait. Yeah, well, we've seen uh, we've seen. I, I think he's ultimately seen. a heartbreaker. Listen, I was a huge fan of his, a long time supporter. I hung in with him for a long time. Yeah, long so did time. I. Say, listen, we both did. Yeah, but I don't. You know, I don't think he's. I think ultimately he's gonna he's gonna disappoint. All right, one other thing I do want to ask you about. Then we'll get back to the phones. Uh, in talking about the, I read an article in the Athletic about. Um, kind of looked at each team and who may be a cap casualty. And when it mentioned Dallas, it said Amari Cooper, who's got a cap hit of $22 million this year. Holy moly. Um, but if they cut him before June 1st, they'll save $16 million bucks. Mm-hmm. He's not he, – he was not particularly productive last year. He's 20th in the league of receptions. He's 30th in yards. Uh, if they release him – we know the Eagles need wide receivers. Do you have any interest? No, not really. He's a little really? too high maintenance for me. Well, that's wide receivers. Yeah. Oh, uh, I know. I know. Um, he's he's kind of an in and outer. And and listen, he's had big games against the Eagles too. I mean, he he has, and I've seen him play well against the Eagles. But he's just he's a guy that always there's always seems to be a a, a cloud following him, you know. And uh, I just don't know with this with this team. This, this is a young Eagles team that's trying to build a new kind of identity and a new kind of chemistry. And I don't know that a, a veteran guy with his kind of history is exactly what you're looking for. I mean, I, I definitely think they need – I think they need a veteran, a good veteran receiver to round out that offense. You know, somebody other than Smith. Smith, you're, you're set with Smith, and you're set at the tight end position. But that other receiver position – and I think Quiz can be your slot guy. But that other wide receiver position, I think it would help to have um, – uh, a veteran guy in there that could step in, and I, you know, I would be more, I would, I would be more inclined to look at a Mike Williams, say, from the from the Chargers, mm-hmm. or a, or a Chris Godwin if he's if he's gettable, and depending on what the doctors tell you about his knee surgery, I, I would prefer that kind of guy than a guy like Amari Cooper who always seems to have a kind of some kind of a complaint and always he's always chronically unhappy with his contract. Okay. Well, tomorrow will be the uh, second edition of the Ray Dinger Draft Preview, so. 
I'm yes. looking forward to that. So I will I will give you a little preview of of issues that people will be talking about. What will be the what will be the hot button topics from the combine? What what will be the the annual debates about the um, you know whose hands aren't big enough? Who doesn't oh, jump high yeah, enough? Oh, I love that stuff, right? And, yeah, yeah, all all of those little subplots that you're yeah. going to start hearing He's about. Not this good thing. on the on the on the cone drill, so right. let's not draft. So I'm going to give you a little preview of that. Looking forward to it. Uh, D in Virginia, I think, has a working phone at this point. Hi, D. Hey, how's it going, gentlemen? Right. Good morning. How are you? How are you? Hey, yeah, I just want to say, you know, I, I wasn't a big James Harden guy. You know, I, I kind of like the old NBA like you guys were talking about. But things changed. Just wasn't a big fan of his game. But I'm, I'm coming around on him because on this team, we, we got guys who, you know, don't need the pressure of making plays. They just need to be able to play. And Harden, you know, gives us that chance. You got him and Joel, you know, who can get their own shot and make baskets. So knows a facilitator, open up the floor for his teammates. You know, I'm coming around on him, and I appreciate it. And yeah, he's a mercenary. So let's just see what we got, enjoy the year, and see where it goes. And um, you, you guys talked about the Steve Carlton thing, and immediately, you know, flashback to you know memory lane. And I remember my granddad and the neighbor across the street, you know, 72, 73 summers, yelling back and forth like, "Who's pitching tonight?" Carlton. Carlton's on the mound, and they're out there listening to the radio. If Carlton ain't pitching, then the game's not even on. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right, D. Yeah. If Carl if if Carlton was pitching, everybody watched or everybody listened. If Carlton wasn't pitching, you didn't even think of turning it on. I mean, that's right. really that's really what the summer of seventy two was. That's what it was, and just sitting there listening to him rant about how much he hated Willie Montanez. You know, I I remember that. You know, so, uh, <laughs> good talking to you guys. Good. All right, thank you. Why did he hate Willie Montanez? Um, I, I don't know. I didn't okay. know that he did. I mean, Willie was, uh, you know, Willie was a hot dog. I mean, Willie was a major hot dog. Might have been, might have been, might have been the biggest hot dog to ever wear a Phillies uniform in yeah. terms, in terms, in terms of just being a showboat. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, maybe left to his old school. Uh, Willie could field, right? He, he was a great think, fielder. I mean, yeah, but, that, I but you know, but I mean, he did, he did a lot of, you know, he did a lot of, you know, flipping the glove and, you know, you know, catching pop-ups and snapping the mitt and that kind of thing. And it, it never got in the way of his performance. I mean, he was a, he was a, Fabulous fielder. I mean, he was a great defensive first baseman. But maybe, you know, Carlton might have just been a little old school. That it just, he just didn't like that style of baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve didn't share his thoughts with us all that much. As no, know. I'm aware that uh, for a period of years you got nothing out of him. So, yeah. Not in 72. In 72 he, he talked endlessly. But in yeah. 73 he decided, after the 73 season, he decided that he, you know, he didn't like Bill Conlon, so he decided not to talk to any of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, he was. Uh, I'll tell you. I gotta tell you. On all those years there, as a, as a writer, if you went out to the Phillies game, you were assigned to go to the Phillies game, and it was a Carlton game. You went out there with two two emotions. Number one, uh, you know, I know I'm going to go see a great game pitched because he, that's all he pitched. But the other part of it was, as a writer, God, is today the day he's going to pitch the no hitter? You know, and I'm going to be covering a game and he's going to pitch a no hitter, and it's going to be the pitcher who won't talk. All right, Tim McCarver. And that was it. That, right. that, that was our fallback position. I mean, everybody right, in the press go, box. Let's go that, talk to the man who saw it best. That's what we. That's that's what, that we all used to just. We, we were view resigned. through right. View through the mask. We saw the. Uh, I mean, we, we all felt it was inevitable that Lefty was going to pitch a no hitter. And okay, how are we going to handle this when he pitches the no hitter and he refuses to talk? And we all said, well, you know, McCarver's McCarver's catcher. We got no problems. McCarver will talk go. for us. That's and right. you know what? As great as he was, he never pitched a no hitter. He had yeah, six, that's hard to believe. He had six. All those starts, all those deep starts. He had six one-hitters, but he never pitched a no-hitter. Amazing. 
215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now we are looking forward to talking to Derek Bodner at noon, sharing your excitement over last night's James Harden debut with the Sixers right here on 94 WIP. And if you're a Philly sports fan, then you need to check out my friends at Shy Vintage Sports. They're your home for throwback sports apparel in Philadelphia. Locally owned, Scheib carries name brands as well as original designs by Philadelphia artists. So we're talking throwbacks today. We're talking about Steve Carlton. We're talking about the vet. Talking about Barry Foote even. So the next time you're thinking old school and you think about some new, yeah, and you think you need some new gear for a game, or you're looking for that perfect gift, head over to Scheib Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut in Center City, or go online to ScheibSports.com. You tell them that Ray sent you, and you'll get 15% off. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack, now 94 WIP. Kevin and Brick wants to talk about the Sixers. Hey, Kev. Glenn and Ray. Yep. Glenn and Ray. Hey, listen, whether I'm mowing the lawn in the summer or pre-gaming for an Eagles game on a Sunday, I always always look forward to listening to Glenn and Ray on the weekend. Love you guys. And um, Ray and Ray. My wife and I saw Tommy and me down in Delaware last year. Ah. I hope you're bringing. I hope you're bringing it back because I'm going to bring my father-in-law up from Florida because he he grew <laughs> up in that age. He he would love to he, see it. Yeah, he would love it. it. He he would he would absolutely love it. Well, uh, <laughs> we're 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 in negotiations with a couple of theaters now uh, to try and bring it back. And um, when we when we iron it all out and we've got everything organized and arranged, I will be talking about it. So maybe you maybe you and your and your father-in-law will be get a chance to see it. I would love it. I would love it. It, it was. My wife didn't expect what she ex- expected because she was in tears. And yep. that's, that's yep. I mean, my wife it, loved it too. And my wife couldn't name 10 players in the NFL. What is your uh, sixes <laughs> point, uh, Kevin? So here's the deal. Um, first of all, Carlton is a machine. <laughs> Let's all agree on that. So my sixers and, and Ray and Glenn, can you let me ask Ray one question before you cut me off? But go ahead. So I want to ask Ray one question about the Eagles before my Sixers point. Sure. Ray, you're, you're a lifelong Eagles fan. The Eagles Encyclopedia. I have it on my bookshelf. I'm staring at it right now. Um, great book. I, you have said before, you don't have a disdain for the Cowboys like we Eagles fans do. We hate them. We hate them. And you're like, you're like you say, I, I, I don't really feel that way. How did you grow up as an Eagles fan and not hate the Cowboys? Uh, at the time that I was an Eagles fan, the Cowboys were kind of irrelevant. You know, when I was uh-huh. when I was just a kid going to the game, the Cowboys were an expansion team. They they weren't they weren't good enough to hate. You know, they were a team that the Eagles kind of just pushed around. I mean, I didn't towards the end when you know when uh, Leroy Jordan you know knocked out Timmy Brown's teeth. You know, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I I began to I began to turn a little bit then. But the whole America's team thing, all that stuff came later. Okay. All right. Um, okay, thank you. Yeah, so my Sixers point. So the Sixers, other than the Dr. J years and the Iverson years, have, they've always been like my fourth team. Like mm-hmm. They're like the afterthought. And I haven't watched a full Sixers game in probably five or six years. Maybe like Ben Simmons' rookie year because it was all this fuss about him and I watched the game you know, maybe on Christmas Day. And since then, with the you know the whole process thing and all that stuff, I could care less about the Sixers. Last night, I watched my first 
full Sixers game in years. Yeah. Well, you weren't alone, of- and thanks for the call. I mean, it, it was riveting. As I said, they they I looked it up today. They have the fifth highest local TV rankings of any team in the league, right? Which about what you'd expect. That yeah, that no, that's pretty good. It's about yeah, yeah it's about what I would expect. I, yeah. I I wonder how low it fell. I wonder how low it fell during the process years. I don't. I can guarantee you, not as low as the Flyers right now. No, 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 probably not. Imagine what those – I don't even know if those – there's a certain thing where if you don't get enough people watching, the ratings don't even register. Yeah, that just comes up with an asterisk. Right. I think the Flyers are probably <laughs> they the are asterisk, asterisk team, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but I, I – they're, they're averaging a 2.7 rating, which is better than it sounds. And I'm telling you yesterday it had to be above a 10. Oh, but I, it was appointment TV last yeah, night. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And will be, and will be. Oh man, Wednesday's just going to be tremendous. It's going to be fun, and tomorrow, and you know, tomorrow they play in the tomorrow. garden against the Knicks. Yeah, you know, which uh, I mean, you know, and that'll they'll put on a show. Yep. Bob in Springfield wants to talk about the, the uh, NFL draft. Hey, Bob. Hey guys, uh, good morning. Um, always, always my honor um, to talk well, to you, Carol. Um, I before I have a couple draft things for Ray, but. You know, one thing that people don't, I think Steve Carlton was like the greatest Philadelphia athlete ever. And the one fact about 72, he won 27 games, we know, for a team that won 59. He he had 30 complete games. Right, yeah. So it means he didn't even, you know, he lost three of his games, but he finished them. And that 15th, after that 15th game, it was against Atlanta, and they lost in the twelfth inning when Denny Doyle hit a single off him, and they lost two to one. And wow. the, in that's, the twelfth inning, he was still there. That's that's you know? pretty good memory by you. Yeah. What's yeah, your draft now, point? Well, I want to know from Ray uh, two things. First of all, will we really take a linebacker in the first round? And <laughs> I two, hope so. and two. Why is Devin Lloyd's stock soaring? Why is it soaring? Yeah, is it soaring? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a lot about him. Uh, the more people see him, I mean, he played at Utah. So you know, I mean, they don't get a whole lot of exposure. So people hadn't seen a whole lot of him during the season. Now that they're going back and looking at the tape, they begin to realize what a good player he is. So that's why his stock is going up. He's a really good player. I mean, he's a linebacker, 6'3", 230, you know, runs a 4'7". I mean, he will probably he'll probably knock him dead at the combine. Would be my guess. And it's then it really comes down to a question of if you're looking for a linebacker and you got a choice between him and the Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia, who's got a little bit more of a rep because he played for a bigger team and won a national championship. You know, which guy do you like? But you know, that's that that's why Devin Lloyd's stock is rising. People are now finally getting a chance to watch him, and he is he's a really really good player. Speaking of the draft, speaking of the combine, uh, the interest is always on the quarterbacks, and there's one who's got a little bit of a medical issue. We want to discuss it with our doctor from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. Mark Pollard, is with us. Doc, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Hope you guys are doing well also. Oh, absolutely. Ray, I turn it over to you for some quarterback questions. Yeah, doctor, I don't, um, I don't know that you were spending your New Year's Day watching the Sugar Bowl. Um, it was uh, – it was Ole Miss against Baylor. You probably had better things to do. But in, in that game, uh, Matt Corral, the, uh, the Ole Miss quarterback, uh, 
tried to break out of the pocket, got tackled. His leg got tangled up underneath him. He fell really badly and his, sprained his ankle. And when he went down, uh, it looked really bad. I mean, you know, when you saw the replays, it looked really bad. And he went off the field in a cart, and he came back on the sidelines. He was on crutches. Uh, he left the stadium on crutches. And there was a, a, a lot of concern about how bad this injury is and how it was going to affect him because he had already decided he was coming out and he was going to be in the NFL draft this year. So it uh, turns out that they MRI him. Uh, turns out nothing's broken, uh, but it's a very bad sprain. Uh, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't do surgery, uh, but it's just been a rehab since then. So I guess what I'm, what I'm asking you is when you have that kind of an injury, and it's January 1st, now you're coming up, now we're coming up on the combine when Matt Corral's going to have to go to the combine and work out for the scouts. Um, how much, how limited will he be? And is the likelihood that coming off a, what was a severe sprain, not surgical, but, but a bad sprain, um, how, how much will he be able to do? And would you expect him probably to just skip all the drills and maybe just do the interviews? Well, you know, the, the million-dollar question is, you know, how severe the sprain was. Obviously, it was bad enough that uh, he wasn't able to return to the game. And, you know, they kept him on crutches, and he's been limited. And I guess we're coming up on, uh, what, two months, I think, or right. two months since the injury. Um, and so, you know, the key thing, and uh, I'll admit, I'll tip my uh, tip my hand here, that I, I did miss the game, unfortunately. So, ah. um, you know, clearly, like, you know, we know that the high ankle sprains, you know, kind of the external rotation type injuries tend to take longer to heal than, you know, kind of the standard rolling your ankle type sprains. Um, and so I think, you know, that, that factor would probably be one of the keys to kind of, uh, you know, trying try to prognosticate and how much, you know, he's going to be able to do. Um, you know, my sense would be that if, you know, if he is able to do the drills and, and things like that. And obviously, you know, he's been doing intense rehab and, you know, they've been evaluating whether he can do the drill. So if he's able to do them, I would, you know, assume that he's going to try to do them, but if he's limited, you know, you know, the game has been shipped at the draft. He doesn't want to let on that. He's not able to do that. So um, again, you know, without the information, it's so difficult to make these uh, predictions. Right. Yeah. He's going to, uh, uh, yeah, there's no, you're not compelled to do the drills. I mean, if you go, you, you can just go to the combine, get weighed and measured, and sit down and talk to the team representatives and do all that kind of stuff. There's no, nobody says that you have to go on the field and, and run the drills or do the vertical jump or run the 40. That's really kind of up to you. Um, but, you know, he's in that very fluid area in this draft where there's a lot of quarterbacks that are kind of viewed the same way. And if he went down to the combine and if he went to Indianapolis and had a big, had a big combine, I mean, it would help him a lot. But if he went there and tried to gut it out on a bad ankle, it would certainly hurt him. So that's why a lot of people thought he was crazy for even playing in the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's – I mean, obviously it's not common, but people have, you know, been injured at the combine. And so part of it would probably depend on his body of work. I mean, it probably helps that he was, you know, playing, uh, you know, with Mississippi, you know, so – the games are televised, so there should be a lot of tape as far as what he's done. So, you know, if he feels comfortable and confident with the body of work he has out there, maybe he would have less pressure to uh, try to, you know, go out and prove himself. Whereas if he feels maybe he hasn't represented himself as well as he could have, he would feel compelled to try to do that and, you know, maybe take a chance. Uh, Dr. Mark Pollard, it is always a pleasure. We hope you have a marvelous weekend. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, thanks. You guys do. You too. Right, be well. Take care. Yeah, Corral's a good player. I think he's probably – I have him as my number two quarterback out of this bunch. 
it's really going to kind of come down. He's going to be a first round pick, Glenn. Whether he yeah, works, whether he works out at quarterbacks, or not. Are, you know, they're all going to wherever they are projected now. They'll go five picks earlier. Yeah, right? but one of the real interesting questions, and I'll get into this a little bit more tomorrow, is you know I think Kenny Pickett's going to be the first one. Who's going to be the second one? Because there's a lot of people that uh, this kid Malik Willis from Liberty. He's a small college player. There's a tremendous amount of excitement about him. He and Corral are kind of viewed as kind of equals, and it'll be interesting to see which one of them comes off the board first because one of them is, you know, because he comes from such a small school is really more of a projection, whereas Corral, the only, the only question on him really is the injury, which it doesn't seem to be as bad as people thought it was at first. 215-592-9494. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, coming up, we're going to talk to Derek Bodner, kind of get his take on uh, this new-look Sixers. Derek's got the thing going, the Daily Six, his uh, newsletter about the Sixers. Great stuff. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. You should have seen my face every single time, uh, especially in the fourth. Uh, you, you know, the first three quarters, obviously, uh, making plays for all of us. Uh, that was probably the most wide open I've ever been in my career. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of easy baskets. I used to have to have to work for everything. But in the fourth quarter, uh, the shot-making ability, uh, you know, shot creation, uh, should have seen my face. I was just like, well, never, never had this. Uh, nothing close to it. So hopefully that continues. And uh, we didn't even play our best, but I think we can be way better than that. Well, that is an effusive Joel Embiid after last night's Sixers win after James Harden's debut and a man who covers the Sixers as well as anybody in this town. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner, B-O-D-N-E-R-N-B-A, or subscribe to The Daily Six, his uh, newsletter about the Sixers. And um, Derek, let's kind of start with that, not Harden individually, but what Harden is going to mean for Joel Embiid. Yeah, he's going to mean a lot for Joel Embiid. Um, you know, he is not only the best scorer that Joel Embiid has played with, but the best half-court passer that he's ever played with, too. And there's nobody that he has played with that comes even close to being able to put pressure on a defense in a half-court like James Harden. You know, I think what we're going to see a lot of is, you know, you saw a lot of James Harden being trapped on the perimeter coming off of a pick-and-roll. That's going to open up the world for Joel Embiid. That's going to open up the world for the shooters around Embiid and Harden. Uh, it is going to be a lot easier for Joel Embiid, you know, there was a Joel Embiid has had his struggles in the playoffs in part because being a post player in the playoffs, it's so easy to double team him. And now with James Harden on, on the team, that is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's worlds easier for Joel Embiid. Uh, it is something he has never had. He will be open more often than he ever has been. Uh, and it's, it's going to benefit everyone, not just Embiid, but all the role players around them too. Derek, I, I watching last night's game, and we all we told, we spent the last two hours really talking about it. Um, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was it was really terrific. Uh, but I'm just your your perception. How what surprised me was how good they were for the first time on the floor together. I mean, the whole and not just and not just Embiid and Harden, but I mean the whole how the whole thing worked. I mean, how smooth it was. I mean, they only had three turnovers in the first half, uh, and. I mean, it looked like they had been playing together all season. I mean, that was the part that surprised me, was how, how good they were for the first time out. Did it surprise you, too? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, I, it, it's not only, um, you know, look, Minnesota isn't exactly the world's greatest defense. They're not terrible. They've actually improved quite a bit. Patrick Beverly addition, addition of Beverly helped them a lot. Um, but they're respectable, but they're not good. Uh, and I think that's a team that wasn't really built to, you know, they like to really blitz the pick and roll. And against James Harden, he's too good to do that he's going to put you into too many rotations. He's going to create too many open shots for his teammates. So I think there will be teams that will, you know, if we're going to see bumps, it'll probably be down the road a little bit. 
but for an opening night performance, um, you know, that was as good as you could have possibly hoped for. They've never played with, with each other. Um, all the role players seemed like they knew their role, which is going to be key. Um, it was, and, and the two-man game between Embiid and Harden was as good as you could have expected. Uh, yeah, that was as good of an opening uh, performance as you could hope for. Uh, like I said, I do think there's going to be teams that will um, expose their lack of familiarity against each other, uh, and we'll see how quickly they can become familiar and, and play off of each other. But for an opening night, that was borderline perfection. It was it was tremendous, and it was a ton of fun. And let's talk about Harden individually. Um, 27 points, I mean, really efficient. Um, Step-back jumper just was deadly. draws fouls, everything he does. Uh, The guy we saw last night, for people who maybe don't watch the NBA as closely as you do, is that the James Harden we expect to get for the rest of the season and moving forward? Stylistically, for sure. Um, You know, that is the kind of game that he plays. He's going to live at the foul line and from beyond the three-point line. Uh, You know, some of those, he does take a lot of, you'll look at his three-point percentage sometimes and it's not great. Uh, And part of that is because he takes some very tough, high degree of difficulty shots, a lot of setbacks, a lot of contested shots. So that five for seven from deep won't always, you know, that there will be some two for sevens from deep thrown in there, but the kind of pressure that he puts on the defense by being willing to shoot from so, so deep and so quick and being able to get uh, into the paint and create for others. You know, I think one thing that kind of got lost when he initially went to Brooklyn, he was playing this way more of a distributor role that I think we saw throughout much of last night as well. Uh, he sort of had to become, I won't call it the old James Harden, but a little more uh, ISO-heavy one-on-one scoring because you know Durant and Irving were out of the lineup so much. But I think right now at this stage of his career, he wants to facilitate a little more. Uh, I expect him to average double-digit in assists. Yeah, I think stylistically that is the James Harden you can expect. Like I said, he's not going to make five out of seven every night from deep. He just takes two tough shots to do that. But he is going to continually put pressure on the defense. Uh, and, and yeah. Before the before the trade was made in the uh, in the weeks leading up to it, a lot was written and a lot was said about the trade and about Harden and what he represented at this point in his career. And it was suggested by a, a number of people, especially the people up in New York, that you know that his game had slipped, that he wasn't the player that he had been in Houston, that there was there were signs of age and there were signs of wear and tear, and that he wasn't you know he wasn't that guy anymore. Um, you saw, I mean, you saw plenty of him. Did you buy into any of that? No, I think his athleticism has probably slipped a little bit. Um, you know, not a tremendous amount. I think he's still capable of quite a lot. But I think that's part of why this is the right spot for him. You know, I think he, if you were going to ask him to be that league-leading scorer that he was in Houston for a couple of years there, I think he would probably struggle a little bit. You know, not like he couldn't do it, but he would be slightly less efficient in doing so. Um, so, yeah, I think he's lost a little, like a half-step athletically. But I think his game has never been truly based 100% off of athleticism anyway. He's so crafty. He's so good off the dribble. He's so good with his deep shot. And he's, he's just he sees the floor both as a passer and as a scorer so well that I don't think he's going to drop off precipitously right now. Um, so, yeah, I think he's probably lost a half step in his athleticism from what he was when he was 27, 28. Uh, if he was asked to be the James Harden league-leading scorer right now, I think we would see more of that. But paired next to Joel Embiid, I think we're going to be very pleased with what we see offensively. Derek Bodner is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. You tweeted last night, Daryl Morey's 16-month personal nightmare of experiencing life without James Harden ends in 20 minutes. You put it right before the game. What is Explain, uh, for those who may not know, the relationship between those two. Yeah, I mean, much of Daryl Morey's legacy is tied towards James Harden. Uh, I think there is 
unfinished business, a feeling on both ends of unfinished business from their time in Houston. And look, the moment that uh, Daryl Morey came to Philadelphia, there was speculation, not only externally, but internally within the Sixers, that this was the end goal. This was a, a what they were working towards. And look, if Damian Lillard or somebody of that ilk became available at any point before they acquired James Harden, do I think Daryl Morey would have acted on that? Yeah, for sure. But they didn't. Uh, and I think this was always in the back of Daryl Morey's mind. I think there's an extreme level of comfort between Morey and Harden. Uh, and I think Morey very obviously appreciates what James Harden brings to the basketball court. And he plays the, kind, the style of basketball that Daryl Morey wants to play. Um, so it's just, it, you know, these are two people who were speculated about um, for months and months and months. It came out to be true. I think James Harden was always in the back of Daryl Morey's mind. Uh, the question was only whether or not it would work out in Brooklyn. It didn't, uh, and when that became evident, then it was this, I won't say it seemed like destiny, but this was always going to be a pursuit. I guess the, you know, the, the offensive part of it, I think we saw all of it last night, and we saw the promise of what it could be, and, and that part of it really only figures to get better and better as, as they play together more. Um, the question is at the other end of the court defensively, because you know, James Harden has never been considered a great defensive player, uh, and if you look at the way the Sixers work, the Sixers are not a team – that switches a lot on defense. It's just not what they do. It's just not uh, – it doesn't suit their personnel. It's not Doc Rivers' style. They're not a switching defense much. But throughout Harden's career, he's kind of had to – because of the kind of player he is, he's had to be a guy that's run through a lot of switches. How do you think they're going to – how do you think they're going to reconcile that and work him in and, you know, ultimately down the road, will they be a better defensive team or will they be a good enough defensive team to win in the postseason? Yeah. Um, and that, that, It's a good point because it's 100% true. James Harden's teams have always switched a lot. In part, that is because James Harden's biggest benefit defensively is that he is big, he is strong, he can hold his own even against bigger players. And part of it, it's to conserve energy. Um, and, you know, he's not the most attentive or engaged defender. Uh, by switching, it minimizes that a little bit. It's real tough for the Sixers to switch, especially when you run a pick and roll with Joel Embiid. They do not want Joel Embiid switching too much, in part because of the energy it would exert, but also in part because he is maximized by being near the rim where he can impact the most number of shots. I, and I think you saw a couple of miscommunications last night uh, where James Harden wanted to switch. Some of his teammates weren't expecting it, and you saw open driving lanes because of it. You know, I think the Sixers will switch a little more than they have been to make use of James Harden. I don't think that will be a ton of, you know, screens with Embiid, but the other three players on the court, I think you could see a little more switching. But overall, there is no perfect solution to this team's defense. I think that is going to be true even in those minutes when Joel Embiid is off the floor. And now you're, you know, I think you saw Paul Millsap out there. And I think Doc Rivers, in those minutes where Harden is on the court without Embiid, I think Doc Rivers wants some shooting at that five spot to help space the floor, to help Harden with the pick and rolls. And that's just going to make the defense even worse. I don't think it's going to be a top, you know, five, level defense. I don't think it's going to be a dominant defense where you go into the playoffs and you're 100% comfortable with it. But I think Joel Embiid is almost single-handedly enough to keep them where they will be good. Uh, and whether or not that is enough with what they can do offensively remains to be seen. There aren't very many perfect teams. This is probably their one main flaw, especially because their only real plus, like elite shutdown type defender is Matisse Thibel, who is tough to play offensively on many nights and, and will be tough to play offensively in the playoffs. Danny Green taking a step back certainly hurts them in that regard. All right, so last one for me, and it's a two-parter, and I know I'm asking you to project a lot, but kind of looking at the East, um, where, where do you kind of rank them now? Where are they in the pecking order among the elite teams? And the second part of the question, which relates to the first, is 
Can Doc Rivers do this? Is he up to this? Yeah. Um, I would still, in terms of just pure probability, I would probably put the Bucks still slightly ahead of them just because of their familiarity, just because of, of Giannis and how good he is. But I yeah, think the Sixers certainly have it. an upside. Right. And because they've done it. I think the Sixers certainly have an upside where they can compete with them. I think this is where sort of like the gelling and the familiarity and the coaching becomes a big factor into it. Um, so I would put the, the Bucks slightly ahead of them. I would put the Sixers ahead of, you know, the Heat and the Bulls. All due respect, uh, they both had tremendous seasons. They would both be, especially the Heat would be dangerous in the playoffs. I think the Sixers have an high, a higher end outcome. Um, and the Nets, I have quite frankly no idea how to handicap right now. They certainly have the upside. I don't know whether or not um, – what the probability of that would be. So I'd put the Sixers right now second in the East. Doc Rivers' part is a little bit tougher. Um, you know, I think this is a squad that now more fits the style of play that he wants to play. I think he is better equipped to win in the playoffs than he was in previous year. But that being said, last year was the easiest road to the conference finals that you will ever see. Uh, and with the way they sputtered out there in the second round, Doc has had his playoff moments, and I don't mean that in a good way. Yes, um, right. He doesn't necessarily right. re- react all that well on his feet, it doesn't seem, uh, adjust all that well in a seven-game series. It's a legitimate concern. He's clearly done it before. That was just a very different era of basketball, and he had three Hall of Famers. Um, by and large, I think talent in the NBA wins, so I think the Sixers have a shot. But I do have my concerns with Doc as well. Um, and I was I was actually going to ask that question, but I'll I'll take it one step further, Derek. Um, if this team, as it's constructed now, and you know they they really do look good, and it's realistic, I kind of agree with you. I I I have them in Milwaukee kind of neck and neck in the East, but I think it's you could make the case that yeah, they could get to the finals for sure. If they if they stumble in the playoffs, if they lose in round two, let's say, and in the minds of most people, underachieve given what they are right now. Doc Rivers' job on the line? I would certainly think so. I mean, there, there's nothing that leads to changes in coaches quicker than expectations. Um, I think that's true pretty much across all sports. I think that that would be true here, just hypothetically. Um, obviously, I'm not, you know, not sure what Daryl's thinking, but expectations tend to lead to changes. Uh, and if they don't meet expectations, you know, if they show out well here in the playoffs, if they get to the conference finals or are competitive, or if they get to the finals, certainly I think Doc would have a, a another year here to, to give it a go. But if you lose in the first or second round, uh, expectations tend to result in changes. Uh, yeah, I would think that would, anything would be on the table. Um, and whether or not you know Daryl Morey is comfortable with Doc or not, um, that would be a huge underachievement for sure. Well, let us hope it gets better than that. And, uh, boy, Wednesday night, uh, last one is just going to be something special down at, uh, in South Philly, isn't it? That was a question, but yes, it is. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I, didn't hear <laughs> I was asking. I know. I, I kind of said it as a statement, but I was. I, I guess I was looking for your affirmation that Wednesday night's going to be tremendous down there. Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking about this before I came on. Uh, like in terms of debuts and excitement, I really do think you probably have to go back to To uh, and, and the way that yeah. that season started against the Giants. I can't remember anything. Even I mean, certainly with the Sixers, most of their debuts don't really go as planned. Uh, whether that's Chris, Chris Weber or any of the other ill-fated stars the Sixers have acquired. This was the one that has worked out, and there's an excitement level that I think is palpable and real and, and, and worth it. Amen. Derek Bodner, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Yep, thank you. Thanks, uh, Derek. Well. Yeah, they lost their first game with Julius Irving. <laughs>
Is that right? Was that a home game? It was a home game. Was that yeah. the one, uh, I think you told me the story, where the guy runs onto the field with the Dodgers? Yeah, Steve kid. Soames, the season ticket holder. The guy who had the court, who sits right at midcourt yeah, yeah. on the floor, uh, came running out on the floor with a doctor's kit and handed it to Julius when he was introduced. It was it brought the house down. It was so funny. Doc got a big and laugh. Then, and it. then they lost. And then they lost. Then the game. Then the game started, and they lost. I think. I think it was San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken. Worked out well in the long. Yeah, run. Yeah, they they kind of got it worked out. But I mean, it was it was kind of what you expect. I mean, a guy comes in brand new, never played with his teammates before, and you know, the ball's bouncing off people's feet, going out of bounds, and you know, it's it's not quite you. You go in there with one set of expectations, and okay, this is what it is. But okay, it'll get better over time. And to be honest, I kind of thought that it was, that was kind of what it was going to look like last night, and there was none of that. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was just about perfect right from right from the start. That's what's so exciting about this. You know, what's always the part of the Julius Irving story that I have a tough time understanding is that the guy who was the owner of the team, Fitz Dixon, right, had no idea who Julius Irving was, right, when they're getting him from the NBA, right. Right, and then Pat Williams had to kind of ex- – it was Pat Williams, right? Well, Pat Williams was the GM, right. Okay. He, he drove out to Fitz's house out in, uh, you know, out in er- Villanova er- Nine Farms, yeah, out there in, in White Marsh, and said, Mr. Dixon, we have a chance to get Julius Irving. And Fitz said, who's that? <laughs> How do you own an NBA team? I know yeah. Irving was in the ABA, but he was Julius Irving. I, everybody knew who Julius Irving was. Everybody except the gentleman who owned the Sixers. <laughs> So what kind of owner was Fitz Dixon? I uh, came here, Harold Katz owned the team, right? Nobody liked Harold Katz by the time I got here because he was, you know, he was working out potential guys in the in his driveway, right? right? So he was regarded as way too involved. Yeah, uh, Harold was very, very hands-on. But so giving Harold credit, he was, he was the guy that said, we're, we're getting Moses Malone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not – I'm just saying what the perception of him was uh, but f- from fans – but Fitz Dixon owned the team, and like he didn't know anything about basketball. Not really, no, not really. I mean, but he what, didn't interfere. Which no, he just he just stayed, he just totally stayed out of it. But yeah, uh, that's a good owner. You know what Pat? What Pat sold him by Pat said to him, Julius Irving is the Babe Ruth of basketball, and uh, Fitz said, okay, good, let's sign him, and that was and that was how and that was how it went down. Yeah, but Pat's told that story many times. He literally did not know who Julius Irving was. But when he heard he was the Babe Ruth of basketball, that was that was good enough. Well, he knew who Babe Ruth was. He did know who Babe Ruth was. Right, yeah. Well, that's 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 good. But Fitz Dixon was a very nice man. I met him a number of times. But he was a uh, you know he was he was he was very he was the he was the definition of the word patrician. I mean, he really was. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, he was a real courtly, wealthy gentleman. You know, you know, always the tie was always pulled up. He was always. <laughs> His pants were always pressed. He was, he was a very, he was a very nice guy uh, who was who was involved in the sports, but didn't necessarily follow it. And in this case, he certainly didn't follow the ABA. Can I give you a, a, the flip side of that story? Sure. So when I when I worked for the Detroit Free Press, I I once wrote a long magazine profile on Bill Frieder, who was the Michigan coach at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? You remember Bill Frieder? Oh, sure. Okay, before uh, Steve Fisher, and. Um, Frieder just only knew basketball. That's what he knew. And actually, what's funny is the story involves Doc Rivers. So Bill Frieder is he's looking and he's recruiting, and he sees a story that says, if Bo Derrick is a 10, Doc Rivers is a 9. Right? Probably at the time it was Glenn Rivers, but is is a 9. And Frieder says, I don't know about Doc Rivers, but we might want to go after this Bo Derrick guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> and had no idea. Oh, uh, that's uh, coaches are the best. I mean, they they right. live they live in their own world. I know. Yeah, I know, sure. Do. I know. I know. I've told I've I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's just so. And I love I love Dick Vermeil. God, I love I love Dick oh, Vermeil. Yeah, but he, but sure. he but he he might be the classic example. Yes. Of this. I mean, the Eagles when Dick was coaching them early on. Um, they they would sometimes practice over at Old Kennedy Stadium, the stadium that hosted the Army Navy game, just to get off the artificial turf, just to go over there and practice on grass, so that the, it wouldn't just kill the guy's legs. So they would occasionally go over there and practice. So they were going over to Kennedy Stadium to practice one day, and the Rolling Stones were coming in to uh, do a concert at uh, at uh, JFK Stadium, uh, and so they were building this stage uh, at at one end of the stadium, at this massive old stadium. And so after practice, I mean, Dick had no idea what, what was going on. And he looked over, and they're, they're, they're building these scaffolds and hammering stuff into place. And he said, what's going on over there? And the writers were all gathered around, and we said, well, you know, Rolling Stones are coming in, and uh, there are going to be a concert here this week. And, you know, Dick just kind of gave us this blank stare. And, and then I kind of jokingly, just to tweak him a little bit, said, you, you do know who the Rolling Stones are, right? And, and Dick's response was, yeah, of course I know them. My 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 kids get their magazine. Oh. <laughs> well, wasn't the the ultimate Vermeil story that during the bicentennial, which I guess was that same year, when they had the tall ships parade, or they had the fireworks? It was the fireworks and, right? The, the team was in training camp. They were out okay, there. Go ahead. They out of, they were, no, they were out of Widener. They that oh, was they were the, Widener. Okay, I, uh, okay. Go ahead. You know the story. Well, I I was covering them. Uh, they were there was their Dick's first training camp. They were at Widener University, uh, which was uh, everybody knows where Widener is, and it was the bicentennial. And the day that the, the day that the team reported was July the July the third. So oh, uh, July the fourth comes the next day. It's the bicentennial of all things. It's the 200th birthday of the America and all kinds of fireworks. There's flyovers. There's all this. The, you know, the Queen of England is here coming to Philadelphia. It's all this stuff is happening. All this stuff is happening. It's all happening in Philadelphia. And Dick is completely unaware of any of it. And he's in his room uh, at the dorm at Widener looking at tape or going through his playbook or whatever. And all of a sudden, the fireworks just start bam, bam, bam outside the window. And Dick goes to the window and looks out and says, what's going on? And Carl Peterson, who will actually be his presenter in Canton this year, yeah. Carl Peterson says, well, Dick, it's, you know, it's 4th of July. It's the, not just the 4th of July, but it's the bicentennial. It's the 200th birthday of America. And, and Dick says, well, I don't care whose birthday it is. You know, make this stop. You know, this is, the, like, this is the, guys are trying to get to sleep. I'm trying to get some work done here. You know, tell them to stop. Well, I, I can't really tell them to stop. I mean, this, this is a little bit bigger than what we're doing here right now. But that's, you know, that's the mentality of a coach. You know, they that's, they that's are the way they so are. narrow focused. It's really an odd thing. Yeah. And football more than anything. Oh, yeah. So, oh, or yeah. Co- or college basketball. College basketball coaches kind of live that bubble, as, as with the Frieder story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, well, I'll, I'll give you one other ver- very quick one. And, it's, and it's, uh, it goes across the board. It's, I mean, Joe Gibbs was exactly. Oh, was ex- gosh, yes. Joe Gibbs was exactly like Dick. I mean, exactly Yeah, I got a Joe like, Gibbs story, but you go first. Exactly Yours like that. Probably and, better, yeah. Um, was in the middle of the um, uh, Iran-Contra controversy, when that was all anybody talked about in the news. Uh, and Ollie North, everybody knew, you know, Ollie, Ollie North was on the news every night. Um, of course, they, the Washington is right there in Washington. So one day of practice, Ollie, Oliver North comes to the Redskins practice. And they, you know, the, the Redskins PR director at the end of practice walks Oliver North over to meet Coach Gibbs and uh, introduces Joe Gibbs to Oliver North. Joe Gibbs had no idea who he was. None. 
I mean, he's he was, only he was on TV eighteen hours. He was, a day he's on at television that point. A, a twenty-four hours a day. Oliver right. North is testifying before the. He's on Senate committees. He's on television constantly. Yeah. I mean, there was nobody. That, and front page of the Washington Post, front page of the New York Times. Oliver North was everywhere. They brought him over to introduce him to Joe Gibbs at the end of a Washington practice. Joe looked at him, had no idea who he was. None. Yeah. I once did a uh, feature on Gibbs for the Inquirer when I was in the in the sports department there, and I got to interview him for a while. And, and, it, w- it was kind of like a Joe Gibbs off the field, which turned out to be not the greatest feature in the world because, as you suggest, there wasn't much to it. And I remember asking him a question. It kind of related to his family and, you know, the, the coach sleeping in the office, that whole thing. And I said, how do you keep in touch with your family during the season? And he said, my wife records cassettes for me. And right. then when I'm either in the office or in the car, I listen to the cassettes. And I said, well, how's that going? He said, it starts out okay, and then usually she ends up being mad at me for not being there. So she kind of hollers, and then I just turn off the cassette. Mm-hmm. So, it's a true story. So that was that was it. True story. Yeah, man, not the life for me. Told me All the right. same. Told, it told me the same thing. It told Is that me right? Exactly the same thing. Yep. Oh well, you yep. probably wrote it before I did. And they just never and 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 he just never went home. He doesn't. No. I mean, he those guys they just lived. They just lived at the complex. Yeah, and they would go home after the game. Uh, they would come back to the office on Monday, and they wouldn't go home until the following weekend. Yeah, that's eh, not good. Not the life for me. New two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Steve and Gerald, the other guys hanging in. We'll get you coming up on the other side. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now ninety four WIP. You got any plans today, Ray? Anything you're up to? What's that? I say, do you have any plans today? Anything you're up to this afternoon or this evening? Uh, no, not that I can think of. Okay. All right. Hey, somebody asked me the other day, are we going to be doing our Oscar picks this year? Ah. And I realized, I mean, we do what we're watching every week, right? And Mm -hmm. I realized, then I I looked at the Oscar nominations. I think I've seen two of the movies nominated for best movie. So I'm not capable of doing it. If you, if you are, we can do that before the Oscars, but I don't know how many of them you've seen. No, I've only seen a couple. Yeah. I've only seen a couple. I mean, of, of the best picture nominees, off the top of my head, I think I think I've only seen two. I saw Licorice Pizza, which I hated. Yes, uh, which I'm, a lot of people, by the way, got back to me about that. Like, how can Ray hate that movie? It's well, like, I, I heard I, I heard back from a lot of people too, and some and some people agreed with me. Some people just didn't get it, and yeah. then there were other people that really like it. It's it's just one of it's just one of those things. It's just a matter of taste. I, I understand it. It's it's very much a generational kind of thing. I think I think younger audiences. Uh, and younger fans kind of get that sort of thing. I, I didn't. It didn't do anything for me. But the movie I did see um, this year that I liked an awful lot was West Side Story. I thought that was. Yeah. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I've, I've got. I've got all. I've got all of them. I've got all the discs. I just got to watch them. So maybe between now and then, maybe I'll start watching a few. All right. Well, if you do that, I would love. I would. Lo- I would like to keep that as part of our show. If you I would too. To I it. would too. I'm telling you, the one you have to see. My favorite movie of the year. Coda was right? Coda. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah, I haven't heard a bad word about it. I mean, everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody who has seen it or everybody who's written about it has been has praised it very highly. Yep. Uh, okay, let's get uh, Steve in Old City. What's on your mind, Steve? Hey, gentlemen, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Good. Hey, any truth to a story I heard from my neighbor that Ray once knocked over a locker and heard an all-star catcher? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, um, you're, you're you're hearing you know, it's a mashup of a of, of a couple of stories. I had a, I had a backup catcher threw a chair at me one time. Yeah, no, I heard it. I was just ah, a, a okay. very poor, very poor, authentic humor. Obviously, gotcha. okay. okay. 
So question for you, gentlemen, because I did not see the game last night. I noticed in the box score that the Timberwolves were 9 for 19 from three, and the Sixers were 23%, and the Sixers were 19 for 39 from three, 48%. And, Ray, you commented earlier about a spacing, because, like, when when uh, Simmons was in town, if he was the three-point line, they left him alone because they knew he wouldn't shoot. Obviously, right. changed the dynamic. I'm just curious if you observed – a spacing difference relative to three points, and you think that'll carry through the rest of the season? Oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think you saw it last night. And I think we're going to continue to see it because teams have to play. They they can't play the Sixers now the way they did with Simmons because they knew they know that they know that Harden will take that shot and he'll make that shot. So you saw. I mean, in the fourth quarter there, I mean, uh, Kate Scott made made the observation that um, they they hit eight threes in a row. They had eight threes. Now they finally missed one. I think they're, I think they're probably eight for nine total shooting threes in the fourth quarter, which is I mean that's unusual. You're just not going to get that often, but it speaks to how good the looks were. And I think those are going to be there every night. And it's and it's okay. and it's and it's really just a function of the guy that's holding the ball. You have to play him totally differently than you had to play the other guy. Okay, a baseball question, if I may. Sure. Okay, um, if I never followed baseball and didn't know about analytics and didn't know about the trends, I would think that if Steve Carlton could pitch nine most games, players today could pitch 15, yet they usually pitch five. Do you think we'll ever get back to pitchers pitching longer games or think that's just done? That's a great question. I like – and thank you, Steve. It's a great question. I like to believe, Ray, that everything is cyclical. Mm -hmm. Uh, The running game is obsolete in the NFL. And guess what? Last year the running game was pretty big in the NFL. It was. The reason this has disappeared with pitching is because, one, from a younger age, they are not expected to go as long, so they don't. And, two, because now you have these bullpens of 9, 10 guys all throw 100 miles an hour, and the theme is let's get them all out there, throw 25 pitches, and then sit down. Will it ever get back? I I hope so. You know, I was going to talk a little baseball today, and, and I guess this is the time to do it. Um. The owners and the players are having these debates now about the most ridiculous nonsense. This is this is what Ken Rosenthal wrote this up the other day. Okay, the union is offering baseball restoration of a luxury tax that has sunset expanded playoffs, one hundred million dollars annually patches on uniforms. The owners are offering the union a minimum salary increase, barely keeping pace with inflation. Rate. Do any of those items do a wit to improve the quality of the game? No. No, absolutely not. I, and I know earlier this week when you were on with um, the midday guys, right? Wasn't I, I, I tuned it in for a minute. You guys were doing a theme of how, to, how do you improve baseball. Right. I don't know what you discussed. Maybe we'll do this a little more tomorrow, but just let me throw it out right now. I don't know what you discussed. I don't know what other caller, what callers presented, but – they eventually they will settle this. Eventually baseball will come back, but I don't think anything they are doing is going to make it a better sport at a time when the game is sinking. Correct. No, that, that was actually that was actually the theme of what we talked about. I mean, that's actually kind of what Joe John and I talked about for about an hour was, you know, the owners and the players are mired in this endless seemingly discussion where they're arguing over this and they're arguing over that. Um, when, in fact, what they really should do is they should push all that stuff off to the side and say, hey, fellas, let's talk about trying to save the game. Let's talk about trying to make the game better. People don't watch baseball anymore. People don't care about baseball anymore. Kids don't play baseball anymore. 
Let's talk about that. Okay. And then we can get to collective bargaining and, and all this other stuff, you know, and, and, and marketing and all that. We can get to all that later, but let's talk about, let's talk about our game. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do to save our game before, it, before it goes away? Um, and that's, you know, and we, that, that was really kind of what we talked about for an hour. And that's what, that's what I think about every time I, I read these stories every day about the, you know, the negotiations are breaking. Oh, well, we're going to sit down. And we're going to talk about this today. We're going to try and resolve this today. And I'm rolling my eyes and saying, why don't you talk about trying to save your game? Yeah. Because that's, that's really at the core of all of this. And that's really, and that's, you know, the, I don't know if they really grasp. If they, are they so lost in the trees that they, that they can't see the forest? I mean, is that, is I, that really I do what believe it is? that's the case, yeah. I really do, and and I think the sport has declined so badly. Um, you know, um, Dan Wilson's got some sound. Dan, explain what it because I know you wanted to play this. Tell me what this is. Yeah, so this is Jim Bowden from Sirius XM, former GM of the Reds, just talking about kind of how far these two sides are apart. The gaps are so big in terms of the CBT tax, the threshold, the penalties. They're so far apart on the minimums, how to handle the zero to three non-arbitration eligible players. And because there is such distance now uh, and everybody's moving so little, look, one side has to be bigger than the other. And it doesn't matter if it's the clubs or the players, someone's gotta make a dramatic jump in the proposal to get serious negotiations going so we can get a deal done by Monday. Yeah, by the way, Monday is the day at which point they're gonna have to start canceling regular season games. Right. I, you know, maybe they will. It's always tough to predict how labor negotiations go. You and I have both covered them, and what happens is nothing's going to happen until it does. Uh, and they'll we'll have a season. But again, uh, you know, whether it's 162 or 150 or 120 games, if the games all last four hours and feature strikeouts, walks, and home runs, without any defense, any stealing, base running, you know, any, any of the things that make baseball interesting, I don't care if it comes back. Right. All right. Exactly. We'll no, exactly. Exactly right. And l- listen, you and I are both old enough and deeply invested in this enough that we remember baseball, the, the game that we fell in love with as kids. Loved it. I loved it. Loved the game. You know, I mean, I I would watch. You know, I I, I would. You know, I, I I watched every Phillies game. I mean, I never, I you know, from from first pitch to the last pitch. You know, good years, bad years. I watched it because it was baseball. I mean, that was my team. That was my game. Um, now, now it's a chore to watch baseball. It actually is. I mean, I'll sit down at night and I'll put it, I'll put a Phillies game on. Figure it out, especially on a Friday night. We're going we're going to be on the air on Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to watch the Phillies game because let's talk. We're going to be talking about it tomorrow. Sure. I'll I'll be into the third inning and I'll be I'll be bored. And I'll just say, you know, there's, geez, there's, there's other things I could be doing right now. I never used to feel that way. Yeah. You know, and right. if, if you and I, who are guys who are really love baseball and have a real appreciation uh, for the history of baseball and what, and what baseball is, if, if we're not watching it and we know the kids aren't watching it, then who the heck is watching it? You know, that, those are the issues that the owners and the players should be talking about right now. Yes, sir. Gerald in L.A. has been hanging a while. Let's get him in here. Hi, Gerald. Hey, how's it going, gentlemen? All right. Always a pleasure to tune into the app and hear you guys on the weekend, though it's Thank pretty you. early out Thanks, here. Thanks, Gerald. <laughs> uh, listen, yeah, yeah, last night, I want to do two quick six-year points. Uh, last night was just such a release and a relief for Sixer fans because we watched Ben Simmons for years. We saw the flaws and the lack of offensive development, 
And on top of that, we were told we were almost crazy for pointing those things out and talking about them. Right. Yes. So to see to see Joel Embiid and James Harden get out there and James Harden play like the masterful point guard that he is and see Joel with a true point guard was just such a relief. Now, we all know it was the Timberwolves. They're not winning every game by 30. They're going to lose some games. But just to see what the potential of it was was just such a big relief. Yeah. Uh, nicely said, and it and it was fun, and it was a mystery how this would work, and I was optimistic, but not that it would happen this quickly, so that they played that well yesterday. And Ray said earlier, not all going to be that way, but it was just really fun, and yeah. we haven't had enough really fun sport uh, games around this town. And uh, uh, and you know the one thing that Ray pointed out earlier is it definitely is his own buster. And you had a caller talk about the spacing for three pointers. It's not just spacing for three pointers. It's spacing so that it creates driving lanes, it creates passing lanes. Some of those. Did you see some of the bounce passes that he threw on like pick and rolls, or the bounce pass uh, that he threw to Maxi in the corner? Maxi ended up not getting his hand down far enough to get it. Yeah. But that's because of the spacing that you can get those passes through there. It, it really was amazing to see, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's I gonna agree. It's going to be a fun spring with that. It's good. Hey, Ray, we got one team. The Flyers are unwatchable. Mm-hmm. I tried the other day, man. It's just uh, – and the uh, baseball is not here, so it's it all rests on the Sixers until the, until the Eagles draft. I, I have to admit, I've, I've – Packed it in on the Flyers. I can't. You're Mr. Hockey. I can't watch them anymore. Yeah, can't watch them. I'm, I'm I'm writing I'm writing this year off. Kevin Hayes coming back, right? Yeah. How about that? I'm sure he's really happy about that. He's going he's going to come back and try and save the season. <laughs> how many times does he? How many times they try to bring him back and I had to shut him down again? Was this like two, three? Yeah, it'll happen again. It'll happen again. All right, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll get a caller two in. We'll find out from Dan Wilson what we got to talk about. Caller of the day for Shive Sports Prize. Uh, Go Birds Radio after us. Is that correct, Dan? That is correct. Elliot and James uh, are both. Here. We'll get it to those boys in time. Ray and Glenn on ninety four WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now we will be back tomorrow at the same time, and some of the stuff that we normally do on Saturday that we pushed back because of uh, last night's Sixers excitement, we will do tomorrow, uh, including what we're watching and including tell us your story best of. Ray, tell the people about tomorrow's special episode. Uh, tomorrow is going to be the third of our best ofs, and it's uh, going to be called "Glad to Meet You," and it's going to be stories told by various athletes, broadcasters, and so forth about uh, their meeting with some famous people. So we've got some really good stuff in there, including the one that actually leads off the show is Jeremy Roenick's great story about when he was a little kid and finally, uh, and actually got to meet sort of Gordie Howe and how that influenced uh, the course of his career. So a a lot of great stories like that. Plus some other stuff. Al Michaels comes on and talks about being there for the, when the earthquake hit the, uh, the start of the world series uh, Adam Taliaferro uh, visits us and talks about uh, coming back from his uh, horrific injury when he was at Penn State. And we cap it all off with Pat Croce talking about what it was like to try and keep the peace between Larry <laughs> Brown and Allen Iverson. So there's really a yeah. lot of good stuff there. A lot of fun stuff, and we're looking forward to that tomorrow. Let's get Darren in North Philly. You're on with Ryan Glenn. Hey, Darren. Hey, gentlemen. Good call, man. Good, I mean, uh, good show, man. Thank you. Uh, especially about baseball. Um, you know, I, I have to say, and I hate to be one of those guys that throw race into something, but I, can I just be honest, you know, for this from second? I, 
you know, I grew up on baseball. You know, my father, you know, tell me about some of the, the leagues back down in the South and, and, um, and, and uh, you know, little dirt roads in the league and, and how they play ball and then learning how to keep score. Like, I really, those things kind of gravitated me towards baseball. I really loved it. I thought it was a connection to the people. I, just, I think baseball lost its way. And I think it's lost its way, particularly in the African-American community, where people don't even care about it no more. And it, it's sad to me that I go past a bunch of fields that I used to love playing and, um, you know, whether it was stickball or regular baseball, but now it's like every other sport has surpassed it. And um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. think it's a race baseball... thing because I don't, I don't think it's any different in white neighborhoods. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, no, I don't, I don't, okay. Think, okay. I don't think kids are – I just don't think it's happening anywhere. Yeah, you, you, that, that, that could be true. I, I will say that. I just, I just don't see the connections for me. Like I was really – I love players like Rod Carew, Tony Pendleton, Ricky Henderson, I mean Don Baylor. You know, I, I really looked up to those type of players. That was just me. But I just right now, I, I just don't see those type of players, you know, even, I mean, says me, I mean, even, you know, Daryl Strawberry types and stuff like that. Um, I just don't see, I just don't see those well, type of it's, players. Being, being and and, and Darren, I, I appreciate your point of view, and, and I do hear you, but I will just say that, I, and, and Ray and I have said this, um, Mike Trout could walk down Broad Street, and the only way people would know him is because they see him at Eagles games. Wow. Um, that, that's, yeah, that's saying something. That you're yeah. right. And, and 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 again, I don't I don't I don't think it's, it's a race thing. So you, you go down to Washington. Soto is is arguably the best player in the game, right? Right. right. He's a man of color. Right. I, I don't. Nobody. This is something that black and white and Hispanic people can all share. We no longer follow baseball. Yeah, you don't follow baseball. <laughs> yeah. And the point that Darren was making, and he's he's so right about this, is you drive by ball fields now. Um, and I drive, I used to drive by a lot of them and, uh, you know, the lights are on at night because they're lit up their city, their city playgrounds. And there's a baseball diamond. There's not a soul on it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's totally illuminated and the field's there and there's nobody playing on it. And yeah. their kids just aren't playing baseball anymore. They're just not. And this, no. the sport is, the sport is dying. I mean, there's yeah. no question about this. The sport is dying. And people say, "Oh no, that that'll never happen." You know, it's baseball for heaven's sakes. No, no, look look around. Take a good hard look. Who's playing this game? Who's following this game? Where's the younger generation? Where are those next group of players and fans going to come from? Um, and that's that's the real core issue that that the people like Rob Manfred and the owners and the players and the players' association that's that's really what they need to be talking about now. But unfortunately, they're not. No, they're sure not. Last caller of the day is Frank in Delaware. What's up, Frank? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. I won't ask you because I already heard how well you're doing. I called in because of this conversation on baseball, and I don't call in often. Well, I was a teenager, 1964. There was a lot of talk about the Phillies, and I became a fan. I picked the wrong year to do it because they slapped me in the face at the end of the year and continued to do it all along. Um, but I, what I want to mention, I can't give up baseball. That's all I ever did. I grew up in an area of Little Italy and Wilmington. That's all, baseball, basketball, football, wireball, stuffball. We competed every day after school. I can't get that out of my system. I have a TiVo system. I record the Phillies games. I've got two buttons. One advances 30 seconds, one back. Frank, I got I to gotta hit the end of the show, so you got to tell me quick. I am at and... the end of it. I am at the end of it. What I'm saying is... 
I can, they throw a pitch, I hit the button, I see the next pitch. Hit the button, see the next pitch. Yeah. That was my point. It's the only yeah. way I can enjoy the game now. I, and I appreciate it. I, we do have to run, and thank you for your call. Let us go to Dan Wilson in studio. Dan, what did we – actually, before we forgot to talk about who's the caller of the day. Yes, our caller of the day is going to be Matt. Perhaps I'm a little biased, but he's close to me in age, 27 years old, talking about how this is like by far the most excited he's ever been uh, about the Sixers. And it's true because, you know, he and I – we caught the tail end of the Allen Iverson days, but we've gone through uh, tons of bad Sixers teams, and this watching last night and what's to come certainly very, very exciting. Nice. Good stuff. Congratulations to him. He wins the $50 gift card to Scheib Sports. Ray Didinger's favorite place in the world. Certainly is. Uh, visit them at their downtown shop in Center City or ScheibSports.com, uh, where there's a story in every stitch. All right. What did we forget to talk about? Yeah, today? so two quick things. Number one is we hit a lot on the Harden stuff, uh, but what is also getting kind of national attention here now is the guy who departed from Philadelphia, Ben Simmons, who is still not playing, by the way, despite hearing about what great physical shape he was in. And it just starts to raise the question whether he's literally not going to return until that March 10th game or until after that March 10th game in Philadelphia. They still have six more games the Nets do between now and then. He's still not playing, so unclear if he'll come back and play some games and then sit out that game, whether he'll just sit out until then to make it look more real. But literally, like, all this shows this week nationally, not even just here in Philadelphia, debating whether why Ben Simmons can't be on the floor right now. I don't think he's going to play till after. I think he's going to start playing Ray as soon as, they, as soon as after the game here. Yeah, probably. May 11th, he'll be all ready to go. Yeah, it'll, I mean, it'll be too conspicuous if he plays like a couple games and then sits that one out and then comes back. So they'll just they'll, they'll just milk this thing till they get past the 10th, and then he'll start to play. But what it comes yep. down to is what we said earlier. He just doesn't want to play. Doesn't want to play. Simple as that. Agreed. And then my other thing here, uh, it's not actually a sports-related topic, but I heard uh, our very own Ray Dinger on with the Midday Show this week uh, with an all-time rant on the Sopranos finale. Glenn, we were talking during the break. You said you had not heard this, so I'm going to play it no. uh, both for you and the audience. It's, oh, I, I hated that. Yeah, it's... I hated it. Joe, I hated it. I, there, there was no bigger Sopranos fan than me. Yep. I mean, I, I, that was the last show that I actually tried to work my schedule around that I mm-hmm. could see it. I mean, it was appointment viewing for me. It hasn't been one since. But I so hated the way that series ended. You know, I just... My feeling was... And, and what really annoyed me were the people that tried to say, oh, that was genius. Mm-hmm. You know, the David Chase, he's letting the viewer write their own ending. for the. Well, guess what? That's not my job. <laughs> it, they, yeah. David Chase, it ain't my job to finish your series for you, okay? Yeah. You're, you're the writer. You finish your series, okay? Yeah. So anybody that tried that cop out that, oh, that was genius because he's letting you apply your own. No, guess what? He couldn't figure it out himself. So we just put it out there and sort of allowed people to kind of create this mystique about it. But it was a total, from a storyteller standpoint, from a writer standpoint, it was one of the biggest cop outs of all time. I'll tell you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Ray. Hold on, I'm gonna get up out of my chair. I'm gonna give Ray a standing ovation for that. That was, <laughs> that was outstanding work, Ray. You got a standing ovation from Joe to camera for that, Ray. Yeah, and I agree with you on that, Ray. Uh, <laughs> and and by the way, he. Um, David Chase came out recently, I forgot what it was, and basically said, like, yeah, it, it, it was lights out for Tony. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You had to wait all these years to find out, but that's he, he kind of confirmed it uh, in an interview in the last yeah, couple of months. good, thanks. That's what. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Guess what, right. Dave? Guess what, Dave? Shut up and go away, okay? You, 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 had, you had your chance to end the thing, and you know what he did? He choked. He choked.
He got to, he, he played a great game, and then it came down to the final shot, and he choked. That's what it came down to. So I don't want I don't want to hear him telling us now. Oh, this is what really happened. You had your chance, and you blew it. I didn't know you were going to do this all over again. No, well, there you go. Good stuff. I felt cheated. I, as somebody who, I inv- did too. who, who I invest was... who invested all those years in that in those characters and that story, and it was brilliant. I'll give him credit for creating something that was really brave and really brilliant. Doing a story where he made a mob boss likable. Okay, it was brilliant. But it came down to the it came down to the final possession, and he blew it. Good stuff. All right, Ray. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Dan Wilson, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thanks to everybody for listening. Go Birds Radio coming up right next after this. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mac now on 94 WIP. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 